Welcome to Savvy Stabs Podcast on Call In. This is episode 135. Aaron Monte removed, Jill Stein and more. Holy smokes, guys. There's been a lot that has happened in the news. Of course, you know, we can talk about other things as well. I want to go ahead and bring in, it looks like Ashura. Yes, Ashura. You are, oh, let me see. I clicked on uh, Roger by mistake, sorry. Trying to get you in the queue here. Ashura, for some reason, when I click on your name, Ashura, do me a favor. Can you um, exit the queue and then come back? It's it's only happening with your name for some reason. It's not letting me bring you into the queue. If you just, um, yeah, just exit the queue. And then um, just go ahead and come back in. Okay. Let's see what let's Is Ashura playing hard to get? I don't know. It's it's only Ashura. It's I know. not. It's just a technical me. thing. I'm just messing with him. I hope, he, I hope he can make it. You see him back in there? Yeah, but it's not letting me click on Ashura's name. It's mm. only Ashura's name. It's not letting me click on. Ashura, are you, I don't know if you're on the computer or if you're on your phone. I don't know if you need to update the app, but maybe exit and then come back in. Um, but it's only your name. It's it's doing that too. So I don't know why, but um, let me go ahead and bring in uh, Natori. Natori, you are on the mic. Just got to hit uh, unmute. Uh-oh. I lost Tori. Let me try this again. Uh, make next caller. Okay, there you go. So you just got to hit the unmute button. There you go. Hello. What's going on? Doing good. I wanted to say that I'm glad to hear that you okay. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, I, I've been stressing about that for a little over a month, like ever ever since I made the freaking appointment, to be honest with you, I've just been really stressed about it. So lots, lots, lots of stuff going on. I'm just glad that's finally done with. I know. And that's just good because I was like, oh, God, what's she about to say? <laughs> but it's good that you got good news. And I yeah. want to talk about, I want to talk about Jill. I am happy that she is in the race. I feel like the more... The Maria, I am happy that her and I am looking at West and I'm I like the feisty the that's the West I love I like the one that talk his shit stop yep. being nice so I love I like him I like um Jill I do like Claudia Cruz and I do like Shiva because he talk shit too I gotta feel a lot of people ain't checking for him but I still be watching his stuff. But I know them are my my top four. I don't care about nobody else. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Dr. Shiva actually just hosted a protest at Harvard's campus. Um, I wasn't able to go to it because that was it was the day after my procedure. So I wasn't able to attend. But um, yeah, he one thing I will say about him, he is someone that I've kind of known to be on the ground um and participating in protests and stuff like that he is serious about that whether he's running a campaign or not so he does believe that we need to like create movements and stuff like that i will say that about him i will say i think that he needs to talk more about his actual campaign because he's doing like several interviews 
but it, it seems like a lot of these interviews, he's not really talking about what he would do uh, as president. I think. Yeah, I feel like he's still stuck on the. Um, that's why he the last four, like you know, the last four because he talked a lot about he um what he created. Okay, I don't give a fuck about that. I'm tired of hearing about that. Yes, okay, you created that. That's good. Going to talk about what you're going to do for the people. But I do feel like he do call out politicians when he feel like he need to, you know, get a little bit more people watching, which I get excited when he do that. But it needs to, you know, talk about what you're going to do. But I want to get to the um, war. It's just <sighs> sickening. It's like when I, like last night, I was looking at, like, I did not have no idea what was going on in Congo. I still don't know much about it. But, um, like, I saw that somebody was sharing that this man um, burnt himself. And they said that he had to burn himself and told a person to record him just so it would go viral because nobody was talking about it. And it's crazy to me. Um, I was just going to say, yes, uh, for people looking to see what's happening in the Congo, JB, actually, uh, JB, my comrade from RBN, he's actually been covering this quite a bit. He actually did another stream about it today, connecting what's happening in Gaza to what's happening in um, uh, the Congo. And um, I highly recommend that like you guys go watch that stream because JB really broke it down. I'm trying to see if I can get, it's kind of tricky right now because of the holidays. Um, I am going to talk about it later this week, but also I'm trying to see if I can get hopefully Margaret Kimberly or um, Ajamu Baraka to come on and talk about that as well. Because Black Agenda Report has been writing about this for quite some time, actually. And I think this is one of those issues that for a while just fell under the radar. But uh, guys, like there's genocide happening in the Congo as well. It's not getting as much attention because right now a lot of the focus is on uh, Gaza and Israel. It's just so much going on. And I'm going to watch that after um, I hear everybody up here. And it, I'm going to watch the JB um, one. And it's like, it's just so much going on. It's like every time you turn around, it's something. But, and I love, I just got into breakthrough news. Yes. Yes. Arania, Arania. Oh. Yeah. Breakthrough news. Yeah. Breakthrough news is Rania Kalik and um, Eugene. Um, they, they are really good with, uh, they cover foreign policy a lot. That's typically most what they cover, but, uh, they, they're at all of these things, all of these rallies, uh, all these protests and events, they're there covering it on the ground. I've been on them for like four days and I subscribed to them and it's just, I love how like they actually like y'all good at what y'all do. And then they go, what's going on outside of, um, the U S and I loved it because I was, like I said, I was sharing some stuff, reading into it, because I didn't want to spread lies. And I had to stop um, sharing stuff because I didn't know what was going on in Congo. So I stopped it, but I love the um, breakthrough people. Yeah, I, I just think that, like, they're doing, like, really great work. Um, actually, the reason how I found out about Breakthrough News was because of uh, Ronnie Akalik, to be honest with you. So that's that's actually where I first heard it, heard it from. 
Um, but they they do a lot of stuff. That channel has got to be still somewhat suppressed because they never popped up for me in the algorithm. Just keeping it real with you guys. They they never appeared. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a lot of stuff changing. Um, cause like I. I try my best to hold my tongue on Twitter. I can't because it's like I see the bullshit. And I know if I see it, how can you be a politician and play stupid like you don't fucking see it? And it's like it's either you don't care or you um getting paid. You got a check coming in from um what is it? A Alpac, APAC or something. It's crazy to me. APAC. Yes, and Van Jones. Oh, I wanted to walk him like a dog, but I already knew it's, it's nothing surprising with him because he tried to stay cooling up with CNN. Yeah, like Van Jones, you know, I'm going to talk about him on Thursday because when that video came out today, I already had like five five or six stories. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to cover that today. But I'm going to talk about him on Thursday because somebody, there's now another video of Van Jones that's going viral on Twitter. And it's a speech from him in 1993. And you can just see the difference between Van Jones then and Van Jones now. It's like night and day. He getting them checked, honey. But, um, oh yeah, have you seen the thing about um, Megyn Kelly telling people to get out of here, get out of the... um, Get out of the um, United States, lying on um, Arabs. Yeah, Megan Kelly, she's, look, she's had some good takes. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, she's had some good takes, but she's also had a lot of bad takes. Um, and long story short, like, she's crazy. She's just as unhinged as Nikki Haley is in reference to foreign policy uh, in, ref- in reference to uh, the Palestinian people and Arabic people, like she's, I think some people developed more sympathy for Megyn Kelly um, when she came forward about the sexual harassment at Fox News. I think that's when she started to get some sympathy from people on the left, also particularly when Donald Trump was going after her. Uh, she started to get more sympathy from people on the left, but you can't forget who Megan Kelly is. Megan Kelly is is unhinged too. She she's also just another she's she's another neocon. Oh, I know. I ain't, I ain't never forget who she is. I had to walk her like a dog earlier because I can't. It's like I want to say some shit. I have to stop myself because <laughs> I can go in. <laughs> I have to stop myself because I know these rich mofos, um, they play with lawyers and stuff, and I know they are quick to say they are frightened for their lives, so I make sure I do not go too far. But that's all I wanted to say, and glad to hear <laughs> you are doing well. Awesome. Thank you so much, um, Notori. Okay, Ashura, you are now um, a speaker just go ahead and unmute. I'll go to you and then I'll go to Darlene because I know you were supposed to be first. What's up? I'm good. Uh, when it comes to what Notori said about the African thing, I saw it before on Twitter. I just didn't pay mention to it until Notori started spamming it. And then I looked at the clip and I was like, I thought it was like he was already uh, calcinated like or burned up. And I was talking to Notori back and forth. And I, I noticed that half his body was still there. So yep. His body was still there. I thought he was like, normally when you get burned, you're just frozen in place. 
I'm like, oh shit, his lower half is still there. And I'm, I'm like, I'm surprised that Twitter hasn't taken that video down. To be honest, well, they've showed they've showed multiple killings about uh, what happened in Gaza. I mean, I saw pictures of people walking around, dead children still on the ground, dead women, some clutching their kids, some have flies coming out of their mouths. I mean, Twitter still does it. It's YouTube that doesn't want to do it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, YouTube will pull that shit. It's in the community guidelines. You can't show violence. That's also why, like, all of my police brutality videos, any of the ones where I actually show the brutality, they're all age-restricted. They pop the age restriction on it. Okay, so if you wanted to, let's say, watch a video with graphic on it, is it okay to put it under age restriction? For them not to pull the video? No, they can still pull it. It, it depending on what what the violence is, they can still pull it. I mean, it's just it's the thing is, YouTube is starting to become more like Facebook, in my opinion, where YouTube just wants you to talk about uh, your your vlogs, your kids, your pets, um, because they've even started to come after gamers. I I should talk about this sometime um, on the show. Yeah, I have I have a. Yeah, I have a couple of friends that are uh, heavy into gaming, like they're gamers. And some of them have gaming like YouTube channels, but they're also on Twitch. So they spend most of their time on Twitch. My sister also is a gamer. Uh, She has a Twitch channel. Um, But the reason why, like, for example, with my sister, she did not set up her gaming channel on YouTube is because some of the most popular video games... um, have a lot of violence or as, as YouTube would put it as violence. So even like Mortal Kombat, like those kinds of things, some of the open world games where you're like fighting people and stuff, it's even gotten to the point where YouTube is suppressing some of the gamer channels. So if you didn't already have like a gamer channel before they started tightening like restrictions here, it's going to be hard for you now on YouTube. I, I have a friend that my, when I tell you guys about my friend in the UK, my friend that lives in the UK is also a gamer and he has a gamer channel on YouTube and they've hit him too. Yes, it's fucking stupid because for years I've seen people play games like Resident Evil with all the blood and violence. There's cutscenes, specifically Mortal Kombat. They now do their finishing moves in cutscenes, like where you're just watching it. You're not even fighting yet. I'm like, I'm surprised. But normally when they do that shit, it's because. The company in question doesn't want the the they don't want the advertising shit, even though it's free promotion. Right. It it is. That's another thing too. Was like I've had a couple of gaming companies reach out to me and say like we'd love to do a sponsorship with you. Like I don't have sponsorships on my channel, obviously. Or you guys would hear me talk about it during the streams and stuff. But um, I've, I obviously I told all of them no. But the other thing is, is that like you said, the advertisers don't really like that type of content because. It's it's violence. So that's the same, that's the problem with my friend in the UK. He's monetized, but they're not running ads on his videos because all of his all of his gaming stuff is like either Call of Duty or some other type of open world like action fighting type of of game. And that's why even today they don't show ads on his videos. It's wild. Why didn't you mention Call of Duty? Because Call of Duty is linked to the military industrial complex. That 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 one could be a pass. Yep. Yeah, as for uh Rabbi Shmuley, I mean he was 
honestly bodying Jack. I saw the video beforehand, and as I rewatch it, I'm like, oh my god, he's bodying him. He's basically like no, he's walking Jack like a dog around him. <laughs> you sound like Notorious. Yeah, I'm like, well, Notorious says it better than me. And uh, when I was doing, when I was watching it, and I, I, I wished. I, I had a dream about that because I, I, for some reason I had a weird dream about it and it was like Inception I'm watching it and then it didn't happen the same way it's happening on YouTube it's like at some point Robert Shmuley said hey Jake you know why I'm egging you on I'm raising your butt pressure he pulls out his, his skin off it ends up being Jimmy Dore <laughs> and meet Jimmy Dore and say hey Jake you'll never be president and Jake basically is just uh, um, He's like minting on his lips, just pressing on his lips, and just steam came off, and then his head blow blew off, blow off like the Bill Bisky skit. Remember the Bill Bisky skit where all the white supremacists thought he was a white guy, it turns out he was Clayton a black Bigsby. dude. Yeah, it's like that. You got the Clayton Bigsby ending <laughs> when Jake found out he was it was Jimmy all along. <laughs> so, are, Ashira, are you trying to tell us that you had a dr- you had a dream about Jink? That was uh, I mean, it's kind of uh, weird, though. It's kind of weird, though. I mean, this this whole fucking thing right now can't doesn't make me sleep not not that much. I'm like, I'm trying to sleep sometimes. I'm still hooked on Twitter every fucking night. Everywhere I go, it's like Gaza, 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 Gaza. I know, I know. Is it? It it is everywhere. Um, but it's just like the the level of disrespect, man. Yo, man, I had a falling out with a friend over this issue, man. Oh, you just got your first friend <laughs> expelled? Yeah. Yeah, man, it's 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 ridiculous. I haven't got people falling out yet. I've had discussions about it, but uh, they haven't. Like the people, I basically make sure I make sure to talk to people. I know they're gonna have, we can have a discussion. Not that they're gonna fucking cancel you immediately. They got mad at me. They told me uh, they told me Israel has a right to exist. And they were just like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I was like, wow, you've got mad issues. I'm, I'm, I'm worried to even push that. I'm fucking saying no, it doesn't. Because if the land was called Palestine from the get go and you're just uh, you're the invaders, uh, why the fuck should you exist? Why should why should like, a racist state exist and oppress the people? Sorry, I was getting in my car. Um, I don't know. I just know, like, he, like, this happened yesterday. This happened yesterday. Um, a friend of mine for over 10 years flipped the fuck out and apparently didn't want to have a conversation over it at all. Didn't want to have a conversation, just started sending me some weird ass text messages. And I was like, hey, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm welcoming you and inviting you for conversation like to talk about this and he was just like i don't want to have conversation i'm at the gym and i said okay then stop texting me and he was like i, I just can't i just can't do this i i can't i can't i i, I had to unfriend you on facebook and da, da, da. i was like first of all motherfucker i'm not even on facebook every day unlike i was like unlike you who be on there all the damn time i never would have even noticed that he unfriended me that's that's how little I exist on Facebook. I post my streams on Facebook, and for the most part, that's pretty much it. I don't look through my timeline because a lot of the people that I see, the people that I talk to on the regular, I already know what's happening with them and their lives and everything anyway. I don't need to see it on Facebook. 
So the thing is, it's like, it was just, just weird. It felt like I was like back in college and someone was like, I unfriended you on Facebook and, and da, 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 da. And I was like, okay. And what, what do you want me to do? What, 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 what's your problem here? By the way, still never really told me what it was that I did that upset him. Still never told me, just said, he was just like, well, Israel does have a right to exist. And you have to understand that Hamas is a terrorist organization. And I was like, what, what does, what does this have to do with, with, with me? What is it that I did that upset you? I don't want to talk about this. The motherfucker go, leave me alone. Oh, it's, it's, he's not the first one, Sabrina. Like JB said, you're about to lose a lot more. I mean, if, 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 if the floodgates have now cracked, it's cracking right now. The flood, the floodgates is cracking. You're about to get more friends in a couple of days. And by the way, uh, I did say you might reach 60K. It seems like it's happening in December. So my prediction is still coming. As for Aaron Mate, I don't know why Aaron Mate had to do a video and he had to admit that he violated the term of the quiet room. I was like, fuck the quiet room. Going to the quiet car. Yeah, the quiet, yeah, quiet room, quiet car. I don't care. It's a fucking room. It's a space. The sanctity yeah, because- of the quiet room. This is the thing that I want to mention. I want people to understand about that. I think Aaron did a good job, like asking Chris those questions. But then it's like when you come back and you say, I want to apologize because I was on the quiet car. The reason why I pushed back on that and I said, no, don't apologize is because it doesn't matter if it was a quiet car or not. Even if Chris Coons was on the part of the car that wasn't quiet, Chris Coons did not want to have the conversation about that topic period. The quiet car was just an excuse for Chris to use to get you kicked off the train. So you don't give into it. You don't, you know, you don't acknowledge it. You don't give into it and be like, oh man, I violated the rules of the quiet car. No, fuck that. Stay focused on the mission at hand, which is the fact that Chris Coons don't want to call for a ceasefire because that motherfucker represent the state of Delaware, which is the credit card company state, which is also Joe Biden state. Link it back to the money. So I don't think that Aaron should have apologized at all. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck, Aaron? You don't need to apologize. He's a politician. He works for the taxpayer. And it was like, and then Coons, like a goddamn fucking Coon, basically, he basically had him kicked off, kicked off. Even though Aaron, Aaron moved away, moved away from him, and he still got kicked out. Yeah, yeah. I just, it, it's really interesting. The other thing, too, um, Someone told me uh, Aaron was recently on Tim Pool's show. I thought Tim Pool was in California. Does does Tim Pool have more than one location? I heard he was in New York. Oh, oh okay. Heard he was in New York, so he was going from there. But then they he had to they, they stopped him where he was. I think with Nick, yeah, Nick was the one talking about it this evening on the Post Duopoly show. So they okay. were explaining that. And, I mean, uh, they dropped they dropped Aaron off in Philly and said, "See ya." Like they just dropped him off and basically said, "Get a cheesesteak and say hi." Yeah, at, th- at that point, I would have basically given him something like a voucher or some shit to make him go do the rest of just just go take a train somewhere else or some cab money or some shit or refund. But I mean, it was disgusting what they did to him. The fact that a politician has the power to do so, they probably the company's probably worried. That they might do something with the Minister of Transportation, might post some law that might benefit <laughs> benefit the uh, the passengers than the company itself. 
could be. I mean, you, you know what's interesting? You know why I got to bring this up, you guys, is because, and I should have said this tonight during the show. Shoot. Um, for the politicians that have a problem with what Jose does approaching these politicians uh, during their speaking engagements, and they're like, that's not being civil or whatever. Okay, so then when you do what Aaron does and you approach them one-on-one, that's also not civil. So the point that I'm trying to make is this. Under no circumstance in reference to the method that you use, if you are disagreeing with the politician, they are never going to think that it's civil in the first place. Yeah, he said seemed like a bitch to me. And uh, for Eric Adams, I mean, is anybody happy about Eric Adams? He's going to get his just desserts or <laughs> do some people think like, man, I wish it was something much bigger than that. But you know what, though, and I, I don't usually try to give us credit, but I got to add this and I'll, I'll um, let you chime in, Roger. Those of us at RBN, I don't think anybody went harder at Eric Adams than those of us at RBN when he even first announced that he was running for mayor because we knew who Eric Adams was. We knew exactly what he was going to be about and what he was going to do. And we were not going to allow our audience to fall for the propaganda of New York City can have a black mayor. And I'm like, yeah, but but what kind of mayor? Who is he? You know what Eric Adams is about? The people in New York City actually elected a cop. Y'all elected an ex-cop. The NYPD that brutalizes and terrorizes people. He was a part of Stop and Frisk. Eric Adams supported Stop and Frisk. And that's who y'all motherfuckers voted for. All the people that were in that New York mayor race. And they chose whack-ass, corrupt, ex-cop Eric Adams. Well, Make I'll, I'll say this and I'll let everybody talk. Uh, the funny part about that is the CNN anchor, uh, Kit Cabello's ex-girlfriend, Caitlin yeah. Collins. <laughs> uh, Caitlin was like, well, uh, maybe he didn't know. He didn't know about the corruption. I was like, is Eric Adams is the one doing the corruption or is it somebody in his staff? Because it seems to me that it was they were saying it was somebody in his staff, but I wouldn't be surprised if Eric was doing it. Uh, they were doing it on behalf of Eric because uh, Eric uh, is like the fact that you think cops aren't dirty cops, like even former dirty cops are, can still be dirty. Like politicians are dirty. Like what the Especially fuck in New York about? city. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like the, the fact you said, Oh, maybe he didn't know. He fucking did know. Pretty sure of it. He thought he could get away with it. Um, I was just going to, that guy is a Democrat operative, though, because I actually had a conversation with that guy one time when I was on um, Rising, and that's what he does. He just constantly defends the Democratic Party. Go ahead, Roger, and then I, I'm going to bring in. Looking, looking from the outside, that mayoral race, um, it wasn't that it was everyone, like, how he won wasn't like, yay, Eric Adams. It was just the fact that a lot of people just kept falling by the wayside. Um, just looking from the outside, I think uh, Scott Stringer, who was the comptroller for the city, I think he would have been probably the best one because he, you know, he he knows like I, I think he would have I don't know bought in some money. Uh, just from a money standpoint, pretty much, he seemed like he was gonna like do the right thing. But what ended up happening was was that he had a false uh, Me Too allegation against them. And by the time it was hashed out, um, it wasn't true. I mean, 
the, the woman that they said that accused him didn't accuse him because she was just like, no, it's consensual. Um, and on top of that, the, the, you had Morales, who was like this like big socialist person or whatever the case was. But then when her staff tried to unionize or whatever, she shut that down. So people was just like, oh, she's fake. So it was just the fact that he just got lucky. That's all. Um, it wasn't like people weren't like the only people that were going, yay, Eric Adams was like his old buddies, like Al Sharpton, uh, you know, people from the older civil rights generation. But also, um, there is um, New York City does have public financing of elections. You just have to choose if you want to run on that. But what? Yeah, it's called multiple. It's called multiple matching funds. You know where you know you donate, and then the then the um, city will multiply it. You know. Well, I, I, well, well. I believe um, when Nomiki was running for uh, the public advocate, the person that replaces the uh, mayor in case, um, what do you call it? In case uh, the mayor something happens to the mayor and you can't, they got to vacate the seat. She was running yeah. on that. I was just going to say the, the, the problem is that the, the financing tends to be not enough and it still allow it still allows like billionaires and, and, you know, big money to come in and overwhelm candidates. But anyway, that's, that's interesting. Um, I had to look into that. I, I wish, wish we had that on a national level. Uh, Darlene. What's going on, Darlene? You are on the mic. You just have to hit the unmute button there and you'll be all clear for the people. I hope we don't lose Darlene. Darlene, I hope we don't lose you. Ashura, I'll let you uh, finish what you were going to, if you weren't finished, I'll let you go ahead and finish while we wait for Darlene. She might be trying to work with the mute button. Oh, fuck. I was, I was done. Uh, <laughs> if you really... <laughs> If if you, if you want to wait for Darlene, go ahead. Are you guys really that nice in Canada, like Aaron is? Uh, uh, sure. I'm not Canadian. I, I I'm not Canadian. I came from a country basically who kicked out the slave owners. So you think I'm going to be nice to Chris Coons? Yeah. Maybe sure. Aaron is a recovering <laughs> Canadian. Aaron is. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I think Jimmy Buster's balls one time said, "You're too nice, man." You know, Aaron. Aaron used to be really mild mannered, like back in the day, and and he would really, he would never go. Hard. He used to be kind of frustrating. He would, he would have these really good facts and really good taste, but um, takes. But then he would, you know, he would always be kind of like in trying to, you know, assume the other people had good intentions and whatnot. And then, and then in in recent year, you know, in the last couple of years, like he he goes hard now, and it's great to oh, see. You know what would be funny. I think he learned from Max Blumenthal. Go ahead. Yeah, it'd be funny if it wasn't Aaron Mate that was in front of the Chris Coons, but Max Blumenthal, and then oh, this, oh you know what? What I thought would have been super base, like if if Aaron would have moved, moved his seat, and then Max comes in and takes the seat. <laughs> I'd go, oh man. Yeah, and probably he would have to call Max's dad afterwards. <laughs> hey, hey, man, your son cost me on the train. <laughs> I don't think Max does what his dad wants. <laughs> Listen, he, I think Coons would have run. He defied the rules of the yeah. quiet of the quiet car. <laughs> right, please. I was just I was just gonna say, um, 
The funny thing is, uh, Aaron is a Pisces like me. I think I only know this because like people wished him happy birthday and me happy birthday the same week. That's the only reason I know that. Like people were doing that on Twitter. What date so, is it? So I'm March 8th. Okay, I'm February. Yeah. So I, we, we must have birthday the same week, um, me and Aaron, because people were giving us happy birthday wishes. It was the same week uh, on Twitter. So that means that Aaron is a Pisces and with Pisces, which is what I am, you know, there's, there's two different types of Pisces. So we're going to get into a little bit of astrology, get into the Zodiac stuff with Pisces. You have the introverted Pisces and you have the extroverted Pisces, the introverted Pisces. I feel like Aaron might be more the introverted Pisces where they're a little bit more, maybe a little bit more reserved. Uh, we, we tend to be friendly people. We tend to be, um, uh, a little bit more sensitive. So, uh, you know, like we, we tend to be a little bit more cautious or conscious of other people's feelings, right? So Pisces, we tend to be a little bit more like the feelers and that kind of thing. Then you got the extroverted Pisces and that's what I am. So we're fucking crazy. Uh, Let's uh, just keep <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you brought up there are different types of Pisces, I, I thought maybe you were talking about piranhas. Like, I mean, is there a piranha type in the Pisces uh, crowd? Because that's definitely me. The extroverted, like for me, so I'm the other side of the Pisces, which is I'm, I love people. I'm definitely a people person. I'm a hugger. Uh, I'm a feeler, like that kind of thing. Um a good Biden type. Right. But we're also kind of known for we're very nice until you piss us off. So and that's the thing with the with the Pisces thing. Like we can be the nicest, sweetest people that you'll ever meet. But if you piss us off or you cross us, we'll go from zero to ten. And so that's that's so like the extroverted Pisces like me, like we can be crazy. Like I can be crazy. I'll just be really nice to you. Like my intention for everyone right off the bat is to be nice. But when I see that you're an asshole, oh, I'm going to 100. Oh, by the way, you mentioned something. I forgot this in the stream. I didn't mention the one about the uh, RFK. You, you you said that when you were watching the Ivy Martin thing that they believe that RFK is not he's not a piece of, he's not a piece of shit Zionist. He's just using this shit to get past the Israel lobby. I'm like, mm, nah, I don't believe it. Probably no, they did. don't. They don't. They didn't say that. They said that they don't believe that he believes uh, what he's saying. They believe that he knows the other side of it, but he's choosing not to discuss it because it's not going to benefit. You him. know, one of the things with smart, like, in what if he, what if he does believe in Sabrina? Because he basically said, I remember he said in a stream that him and Israel, they he has familiar, no, he has financial ties. Right. So what does that tell you? And he also had ties to Jeffrey Epstein and he was on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. One of the things that I've heard it said about kind of high IQ people is that it, for some people, it, they, it basically makes them better rationalizers. <laughs> they like, they, they can come up with better reasons to believe their own bullshit. Yep. And some, I think RFK may be one of those who's, you know, he's he's obviously savvy and clever and smart and has a lot of education. And I think that in a sense, he does believe it because he's come up with all these reasons to believe it. That's my theory. 
But the thing is that you can tell is why is he avoiding Max Blumenthal? Why is he avoiding having this conversation when he said that he would? Because he knows that will potentially hurt his campaign. That's what this is really all about. Now, I'm going to go do some digging because somebody told me, I'd go through these emails. Somebody told me that RFK Jr. didn't always have this position. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but if I can find information to prove that that's true, then that goes to show you this is all for his campaign, which is bullshit. Well, if, if it's if it became if he comes under Max versus RFK, it, well, then I, I I wonder how the Norm Finkelstein versus uh, what's his name Ben Shapiro is gonna basically end up like. Mm-hmm. Because people keep saying that Ben Shapiro loves to debate like high schoolers, college people, but he'll never debate actual people. Because those are the people he wants to body, just so he can maintain his social status, like Rabbit Shmuley. Uh, you know, there's that Rabbit Shmuley. Uh, he, no, Rabbi Shmuley. He looks like that. I don't know if you ever saw this movie. It was a movie about a woman that was married to a husband that was a rabbi, but then she couldn't. She gave birth, but then she got you know a little bit sexual. He, he had an affair with a rabbi, but at the end of the movie, he she ended up with a black guy. It was Renee Zellweger? She she was in that movie. Rabbi Shmuel looks like that fucking rabbi that that basically was coming to her at at, at the third act of the movie because he didn't he didn't want uh, her to see her kid because they were in a Jewish community. Apparently, if you do something oh. wrong, you can't see your kid. You're excommunicated from the group. That's interesting. Maybe that was I haven't seen that, but maybe that was more orthodox. Maybe maybe that was orthodox. It's an old movie. Forgot what the black guy was doing in, at the end of the movie. Maybe he was been making shoes or some shit. Forgot. But he reminds me of that guy. He That guy was scummy to her in that movie. And then at the end, like when she was like looking at him, like, we had an affair and some shit. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm a leader of the community. Huh. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. Let me try to bring in Darlene. Darlene, I invited you as a speaker. I, I don't know what happened to your... I think maybe you're not able to unmute, but I invited you as a speaker. And then I'm going to go ahead and move on to uh, Eric and put you on the mic, and then we'll pop up to Noel. What's going on, Eric? Just got to unmute. Oh, Savvy, thank you. Hey, I, I didn't know. I guess I jumped a little bit because Darlene wasn't ready. Uh, I'm happy to hear you're okay. I didn't know. I know that you had mentioned something about going to the doctors, but I didn't get to hear you know, whatever you said at the beginning of the show today, because I, I couldn't hear the whole podcast today or your show, but I'm just in the Tory says something. And I saw, you know, I just caught that you're OK. So I'm I'm happy that you're you're good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Again, like I think, you know, the point that I brought up tonight is the fact that I have health insurance. And so health insurance paid for the procedure. But if I didn't have health insurance, I wouldn't have been able to afford to pay for the procedure. And I think that, again, this is another reason why everybody needs health care in this in this country. Um, but, yeah, it uh, it's 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 been wild, you know, but um, I still got to make sure I take care of my my health. But um, I knew I was going to have that that surgery. I knew that over a month ago. So. It's been kind of like in the back of my mind where I was trying not to think about it, but I was really nervous and scared and all that kind of stuff. And I just, all I'm going to advocate for people is like, it is really important. Just make sure you get your physicals. That's the one thing I don't miss. I don't miss, like, I don't skip physicals at all. I always go to those. Oh, that's good. That's good. I, 
again, I'm happy that you're good and, and safe. And uh, as far as today's topics, you know, uh, I wrote down a couple of notes, just that Aaron, he's a nice guy. <clears throat> and he, I think he just tries to go out of his own, out of his way to be respectful to people, especially the guy that he was trying to ask the questions in the, inside of the, uh, uh, I guess the, the train or whatever he was in. And you could hear it in Aaron's voice. He's very, he's trying to be very respectful to this guy. Uh, I don't know how he's able to do it. I don't think I could do that and be that nice to, to somebody like that. Uh, but he's just, I think that's just his personality. He's just a really nice guy. Uh, with Jill Stein, you know, when I watched your interview of her, I mean, she always comes across as very uh, sincere and believable. But when she started to talk about like Peter Dow and the fact that, I don't know, it seemed like she says she knew him or she knows he's known like in her circle. I, I don't know. If I'm using other words, but she made it seem like she knows of him. And that's part of the reason why she in a sense, you know, talk to Cornell about him and sort of, uh, I don't know if she says recommended him or just brought him to his attention. But what I don't get is, you know, from listening to other shows and or just other people that talk more about what Peter Dowd had done on Twitter and how he had kind of gone after her and others. Uh, and I could be wrong on some of these things because, you know, I'm not on Twitter. I don't I don't keep track of any of that stuff. But what, what my understanding was that Peter Dowd had done some tweets that were essentially opposing her and others like her that it, it would seem hard to believe that she wouldn't know his history or the negative part of, of what he had done on twitter about her and other people on the left and um so I, you know I, it was hard for me to comprehend how she she knows him and seems like she's she she sees him in a in a good light i guess and 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 then at the same time the fact that you know the, the the ecosystem in the left don't see him as as a good guy. It, it just seemed odd. I, I I couldn't reconcile that. A savvy. I don't know if that makes sense, but I couldn't make. You know, how how does that reality and what she sees not connect with what we're seeing? And and, and the fact that the guy, in less than a month or in a month, he was in and out of there, and then when he came out of the campaign, he started to claim like he had done all this good stuff. It just—I don't know. It just seemed kind of odd, you know. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't fit. Like that's the thing. It, it doesn't fit. I think that, um, from what I understand, Peter started working with uh, candidates in the Green Party in 2020. Um, so that's from what I understand. So it's it. I, he hasn't been around the Green Party that long, but uh, during 2020, uh, he did vote green. So from what I understand, he's been working with them since then. Uh, that being said, you know, this is, this is what I was trying to explain to Jill. The optics just don't look good. You know, whether, whether how long you knew him or not or what or whatever, the way all the events unfolded, it just does not look good. Um, because the thing is, is that this is why I asked her this question about the campaign manager, because now you're running for president. You don't have to have Peter as your campaign manager. In fact, Peter is not your campaign manager. But when it came to Dr. West, it was like, this is the best, the best, and one of the only people that are willing to do it. That's why I asked her about that. And it was then that she mentioned that she recommended other people 
for Dr. West. I, I don't know. All I know is this is like, you would have thought that would have been mentioned in the last conversation that I had with Jill when we talked about Dr. West leaving the Green Party. You would have thought it would have been brought up that she recommended multiple people, not just Peter. Mm-hmm. But the thing yeah. is, is that the way the events unfolded, it just it just didn't look good. Now, do I think like she's out to do some conspiracy attack or whatever against Dr. West? I, I don't think so. Like they're friends. So just yeah. keep that in mind. But it's still the optics of it still does not look good. I mean, looking back on it, I don't think Peter Dow should have been connected to this at all. Right. I don't think he should have been connected to it um, at all. And like, you know, we've talked about this, you know, depending on how far uh, Cornell is able to get people behind him and, and, and sort of move the needle. This part of Peter Dow may may only be like a little footnote in what he's able to do. But if but if he doesn't go very far or get much in terms of a movement or getting people behind him, then people will look at this a little bit more, you know. So yeah. it just it depends on the outcome, right? I think. Well, it also know, depends, like who's going to be on the ballot in in my state. Like, so for example, I know the Green Party will be on the ballot in Massachusetts. They always are. Right. I, I know they're going to be there, so I know that people here will have the opportunity to vote for Jill Stein. Uh, I said that same thing with Cornell West, like they're going to have the opportunity here to vote for Cornell West. I don't know that now. Now, now I can't say that. Now I don't know that people are going to have the opportunity to vote for Dr. West because he's independent and it is not going to be easy getting on the ballot in these States as independent. It's very difficult. Now, now to be fair, there are some States where you're going to have to run as independent anyway, like New York and Ohio, just FYI. So we know that, but the thing is, we got to remember Jill Stein was on the ballot in over 40 states in this country Mm -hmm. in 2016. I can pretty much guarantee that Jill is going to be on the ballot in over 40 states in this country again. I I will be shocked. I will be shocked if Dr. West is on the ballot in 35 states. I will be shocked as an independent. The last person that was able to do that was Ralph Nader, if I remember correctly, uh, when he ran as an independent. But he was on more states, on the ballot in more states when he ran as a Green. Now, now, you know, going back to something that I think was said earlier a couple of months ago was when Jill Stein was saying, you know, she didn't want to be the manager. She had um, some court cases that were going on some some sort of legal thing that she was still dealing with right and she could not focus her time on i guess you know doing what she wanted to do for for cornell and i may be kind of extrapolating you know kind of getting things out of but when she said that and i remember this early on where she said hey you know i can't do this because i have to focus on this other thing right but now right i think that's fair for me to say that but now but now she wants to run as president it's like well didn't you say that you were you were going to be focusing on this other thing that you had on the back burner and you couldn't really give your time to Cornell? So it's just, I don't yeah. know. It, it just, to me, you know, when you start to add those things and put the things sort of connecting the dots, wait a minute, you couldn't be his manager, but now you're going to run for the full, you know, to be the head honcho? I, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. And again, you know, we're a small, you know, us that listen to you and we're still in terms of numbers, we're small, but 
but I, I tend to believe a lot of the way that we think and look at things, eventually other people see it too. Uh, and maybe we're, we're first to see it in some ways because we're, you know, we're looking at this on a more regular basis. I, I don't know. It, it just seems yeah. a little bit off. Well, it seemed, it sounded like too, that it seems like she was nominated to do it because when she said it was between her and Ajamu Baraka mm-hmm. and she was yeah. talking about votes, it sounds like they voted, they voted on who they think should run. And it sounds like the Jill was the one that won that over. Um, just like, kind of like with Shama Sawan, the same thing, like she was voted on, but, but still at the same thing, like you're, you're right. The lawsuits and stuff like that, by the way, guys, the lawsuits come from the 2016 campaign for those, anybody wondering, she still has those, um, unfortunately she still has to deal with those lawsuits. So now what I was going to also say, no, you know, Noel's always very good about bringing up the fact that Cornell you know, the jazz man and, and he wants to, uh, you know, uh, he's just not very strategic and maybe didn't really think about these things really thoroughly. And, and you know, and certainly he, it looks like he didn't, but, you know, but he's learning and you got to give him, you got to give him some latitude to what he's going to be able to do. You know, nobody, there, there's no, you know, like he doesn't have no prior experience on doing this. So he's learning, you know, we got to give him a break. The guy's not going to be perfect. Uh, and that's where, you know, even for me, you know, when, when I think about Jimmy Dore and, you know, the way he got pissed at Cornell's like, you know, give the guy a break. He never did this before. It's not like he's been doing this many, many years and he's going to make mistakes, you know? So there's some of that too, you know, you got to give people a little bit of latitude and, and good faith. He hasn't done anybody wrong, you know, Cornell in my mind. And in fact, he's done a great deal of, of good things and he's put his neck out there. You know, uh, when he did it against Obama, when nobody was backing him or very few people. So the guy's got a lot, a lot of good things to stand on. He's just not perfect, you know. So, yeah, one thing I I just want to remind people of just to keep in mind, we do have to remember when this all first started, I told people, you know, there's some personal there's some personal hurt that is going around here as well. It's not just about like. Yeah, there are some mistakes that Dr. West has made with this campaign, which I've been vocal to him about. Uh, RBN has been vocal to him about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like this was a secret. We've we've talked to him about these things, uh, but it's not just about that. It's not just about like mistakes he's made uh, during his campaign. There's some personal hurt feelings involved. I guess I don't even want to say hurt, um, but there's there's personal issues and. What people got to remember is that when Cornell West announced his candidacy, he was running through the People's Party. Mm-hmm. So that's Nick Brana, and I, I don't think I don't think Jimmy is is no, he's not on the advisory board of People Party anymore. But they're friends, right? So like Nick and, and Nick Brana and Jimmy are, are friends. I think Jimmy still still may believe in what the People Party can do or what they're trying to do with the People's Party, right? Yeah. So remember, Nick Brana went to Dr. West and said, I want you to run with the People's Party. So again, this is another example where Dr. West did not say, hey, I think I'm going to run for president. He was approached and he was asked to do it. Right. But he was asked to do it with the People's Party. Mm -hmm. Then he leaves the People's Party 
and goes to the Green Party. So I want you to think about some things here. Mm-hmm. Nick Brana put up some of his own money to finance the campaign. Yeah. Because the People's Party has no, they don't have no money. So he put up some of his own money to finance the campaign. So there's that. Okay. So like I said, there's some hurt, there's some hurt feelings that, that, you know, going on there as well. And then Jimmy mentioned on the show that he wanted to, I guess, help in some way with the campaign. And I guess he was being ignored by whoever, whoever was being contacted, either ignored or they just didn't want that uh, to happen. Yep. And J- Jimmy can't let that go. But I, I did want to pit or, or, you know, change a little bit and talk a little bit about RFK. And, you know, this guy uh, is full of shit and uh, he's a BS guy, but he's he's great at he's doing a good job. I got to give it to him in the marketing department as far as the way he's he's getting on all these shows in different platforms and many, many platforms savvy. You know, I seen him on Black TV. I mean, the guy's going all over the place. So he's putting his name out there. I mean, like you said, uh, I think on previous shows that he's been doing all these rallies from day one. From day one. From day one, he was already doing a rally in New Hampshire. I'm talking about after I had already covered his announcement on the ground in Boston, he was already on the move. That's right. So he and I wanted to just suppose, you know, like, you know, I'm a big um, uh, I I really love JFK, his uncle's uh, story. I just, you know, for the last 12 years, I just uh, consume a lot of stuff about JFK. And, you know, JFK in the, in the in the in the early 50s, when he made one of his great speeches, when he's talking about Africa and being supportive of African nature, nations and being uh, so that it would be self-determined and being on their side. This is before he became a president and being on their side and not and not being, uh, you know, essentially with the with the colonizers that he saw even then in the early 50s before he became a president. And there was an opportunity there and that we should the U.S. should be on their side of, of, on the African side to be self-determined. And that's when Lumumba was coming of age in the Congo. And before JFK became president, he was assassinated. Lumumba was in the Congo with the help of the CIA because, and they did it just before he became the president because they knew if, had he become a president in Lumumba, I still been there, you know, once he became president, he was going to be able to connect with JFK. And at the time, Lumumba was, was feared to be a troublemaker and a leftist by, you know, the status quo here in America because of what Lumumba wanted to do was self-determination for his people and the, the nations of Africa. They would have followed him. You know, he he had that sophistication and they eliminated him before he before JFK became the president because of that reason. And then once JFK became the president, he visited Africa, I think, like so many times uh, during the few years before he was killed. He was in Africa multiple, multiple times, I think more than 28 times or around there, because that's how much he believed in Africa. And, Mm. you know, once he got killed. Many of the things that he put in motion within six months, they were all removed. And, you know, the whole continent of Africa would, would spin out of control and, and just demise. But, you know, out of, out of his death, you know, a lot of things became worse. To this day, we're still feeling the effects of, 
once he was killed. Mm. Had he not been killed, we probably would not have gone on. We would have not have gone into Vietnam. Uh, he would have probably done away with the CIA and many other things that would have helped all of us, you know, and not saying that the guy w was perfect because he was very imperfect. You know, he was a womanizer. He had all these things, but that's just like any one of us. Right. Uh, but it, but those things have had a great effect on all of us, even to this day, uh, you know, so in RFK and, the and, and, you know, you being that you live out there in Massachusetts, uh, I'm sorry, in Boston, uh, you could you probably know a lot about the, these people. They were very, you know, loved in the 80s and 90s. These people were like, you know, like the, the kings or queens or whatever uh, the Kennedys were not not so much anymore. But RFK and, and the majority of his of the family are nothing like JFK. You know, if anything, they lived off his name for all these decades. But they're nothing like the guy. No, they're not. Uh, no, they're not. And a lot of them that still live here in Massachusetts, I can tell you, they are nothing like how JFK was. And, um, you know, super PACs came in after that, by the way. And, you know, and I know, you know, um, Roger always talks about us, you know, we we have to do the work, right? We can't get behind somebody and make them a, a hero. We can't, you know, uh, do these things. But there is some psychology, I got to tell you, in human nature. There's this psychology that we tend to become followers, especially if somebody gives us hope. And even Roger, in his own ways, he's becoming, a, you know, like his own leader, his own somebody that we can look up to because Roger's doing all these things. Now, he may not want to, you know, admit that he's doing that. But in some ways, that's what Roger's doing. And we have this thing within human nature that we, once we find and hear somebody that we like their message, we tend to want to support them. Uh, and it's just part of human nature. I think it's because they're bringing, they bringing hope to the rest of us, I think, you know. I agree. Well said. Well said. Let me bring in Darlene here for a second because Darlene. Sure, sure. You just have to unmute Darlene. Um, bottom left corner. There you go. Hi. Hey, finally, I was able to get through. I just closed the app and went back in. I don't, the unmute button wouldn't come up at all. So that's when I went back, came out and went back in. And now I'm finally in. <laughs> Girl, this, this uh, app is a doozy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's sad because it's a good app, but they don't, I know it's, it's, it was supposed to be going away, but I guess it still hasn't right now. Not yet. Well, I first called um, to say, for, um, I, you know, I watch a lot of, same thing, been watching a lot of everything you see is Palestine, Palestine, and it's so sad, you know, and, and, and it just makes me really sad because it's like, you know, I when you're talking about, you know, the um, Israeli government and they're allowed to just talk about people like they're not human beings and there's no pushback and, you know, it, it's just... It's just really sad of all of that. And it's, you know, and it's, you think about it, it's 2023 and like still like, it, it just makes me really mad when I watch all of this. And that's why when you were talking about your friend, I felt bad. I was like, oh, that's sad that, you know, because you care about people dying. You're a bad, you're, you're, they want to be, your friend wants to be mad at you. Like, really? That's ridiculous. One thing I got to say is I'm happy in the sense for myself, uh, my friends are apolitical. So I don't even know if they even know what's going on in Palestine or stuff because they don't watch any of the news or all that stuff. And I used to be that way myself. And sometimes now I wonder if I was better off before when I didn't know anything. <laughs>
because it's so sad of everything that's going on. So that's why when I watched tonight with Jenk, I was like, I can't believe you got, I'm cheering for Jenk. I know. <laughs> I know. Right. It's, uh, it is, it is, it is something. Um. <laughs> it was like, and I was, I was, you know, it just makes me sad. I wish there was somebody who would go against Smooley who really knows their talking points because he's just, I mean, it's a simple thing. There's no reason in the world that, that, um, what was it? Israel, Israel and, um, England and the U.S. gave the people that country. People were living there. You can't, you know, they just, and you're not expecting them people to be mad. I mean, I live in the city now in New York City, but I used to live in the Bronx and that's like, and that was 30 years ago. So that's like me going back to the Bronx with with, with um, cops with guns and forcing people out their house that I used to live in and acting like I'm a, it's alright for me to go live there and expect them people not to be mad or not to want revenge. Like it's just, it, and it's just inhumane and it's like, why can't they all live in the same country together and, get, and, and all be, have the same rights? Why does it matter whether you're Jewish or you're Muslim or you're Christian or, you know, I mean, you, you're, you're Israeli. You should all, or you all be Palestinian or whatever you want to call the country, but you should be able to live in the same country. And it's just ridiculous. And it just makes me mad in 2023 that this is still going on. Like it, all it is is plain racism. And it seems like that nobody wants to call anybody out. Well, it's, and, it's, it's white supremacy, darling. It is what it is. If you look at all these predominantly white countries, None of them been invaded, except if you're calling out our Ireland, I believe, is one that got colonized by the British. But most of them, if you look at it, any country that's not white, colonize it, take it over. Any country that's not that's white, don't do anything to it. It's a partner. Yeah, because the British colonized a lot of countries, a lot of countries. And, um, you know, why can't they live together? I just want to remind everyone we had that same situation in this country. You know, we had slavery for what, 400 years in this country where black people and white people didn't have the same rights. Then after that, you got years of Jim Crow laws where black people and white people didn't have the same rights. So we're talking about it took over 500 years for black people and white people to have the same rights in this country. Yeah. Think about that. You're right. It's I, I'm just an optimistic person who I get, you know, I get along with everybody. So I don't. It just makes me mad that people are just, it's just sure hatred for no reason, you know, but I know this is what it is. I wish it was a different world, but I wish in 2023, sometimes it sounds like we're back in the Roman times or something like it feels like that people, you know, that they don't, they don't look at history and see history repeats itself. I mean, it's just crazy that they're just genociding people. And like I said, they're labeled to call them in you that they're not human. Come on. These are human beings. And for them not to care that these kids are being murdered. And it, it just makes me, it just the talking points back and forth and the way they act like one country has a right to exist and another one doesn't, you know, but it is, you're right. It is the way of the world. I wish it wasn't. I really wish it wasn't. That's why I'm saying I was wondering if I was better when I didn't pay attention to any of this stuff. I had to watch power for the week and it got caught up, even though that's murder and stuff, all kinds of other stuff, but it's not real life, you know, <laughs> because this stuff is sad. It really is. It really sad. is. And, you know, the other thing is, too, is, like, I, I had people educate me, like, for the longest time, like, you know, I didn't know enough about this issue, just to be honest with you guys. Um, my dad was the first person 
that educated me. And my dad said, Israel is wrong. He said, what Israel is doing is wrong. And so then I had to do more of my own research. And then it was actually also independent media that woke me up to what the Palestinian people were actually going through. And so what I want people to, to really, I guess, understand is that look how long it took in the United States for black people, white people to have the same rights. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of years. This issue in Israel started in 1948. So just think about that. And I know like we, we are where we are in the U.S. in 2023. But if you consider the fact that this conflict actually started in 1948, if if history was a precursor to anything, unless something drastic happens, this could be something that goes on for hundreds of years. And it's, it's, it's really sad. That's why I brought up the situation about the Congo, because a similar situation happened in the Congo. So it's. You know, uh, you know, more people look at what it took for black people and white people to have the same the same rights in the United States. It took, you know, protests for years. It took uh, people being, you know, some people being militant. It took, you know, us losing revolutionary leaders like Martin Luther King was killed. Malcolm X was killed. Fred Hampton was killed. Look at all the things that had to happen in order for us to actually have the same rights in this country. So this is not to say that, you know, Hamas, what Hamas is perfect. Uh, this is not to say that it's right for Hamas to kill people. I don't think anybody should be killed. But what I'm saying is some people may look at Hamas and they may see, oh, so they're kind of like the Black Panthers. Some people may see that. Um, and then some people are going to see it as like, oh, no, these are this is a terrorist, you know, group or whatever. But I want you guys to remember they called the Black Panthers terrorists uh, as well. So just just keep that in mind. Now, it's just this situation could have been dealt with a long time ago. And like I told you guys, Israel rejected it. So Rabbi Shmuley, when he listed off all those years, I noticed he skipped over 2002. That's because that is one of the ones that's on record that I was able to find where Israel was the one that rejected it and even Hamas supported it. Yeah. And and what's sad is, you know, yeah, because, and I'm sure all the times they rejected it was because, like, because I don't, I'm learning as a, a lot of this from watching YouTube and all you guys and Norm Finkelstein and other people like that. I definitely didn't learn nothing from the news. Uh, about any of it but i'm sure they rejected it because it was a crappy deal i'm you know you're not gonna it, it, it that that's i mean i don't know that for sure but that's what i would think in my brain you're giving me a crappy deal i'm living here and now you want to give me uh a take 80 percent of my land and 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 give me nothing no it don't work like that it, it, you know and not expect people to be upset i I, I just don't, you know, so, so as I'm learning all this, I realized also how horrible the United States is, you know, like I, I, like I said, I was very oblivious to all this because 
it wasn't important. I didn't watch the news or any of that. I was out busy, you know, with my friends and family or doing whatever. I really wasn't paying attention to the news. And then all of a sudden, when Donald Trump became president, I decided to pay attention to the news. And then I'm sorry <laughs> that I got into YouTube sometime with all this stuff and learned all these things and realized how horrible this world is. I was living in my own little bubble and realized what's going on. I was happy to see all the things of like the we're on YouTube to see all the protests for Palestine all over the world and all the other countries that don't think it's right. The only people who are standing behind Israel looks like it's just the U.S. and England. Everybody else is against it. But you wouldn't believe that if you watched the U.S. news here. Uh, you brought up the Black Panthers, uh, Sabrina. Uh, notice that when you talked about Rabbi Shmuley brought up, he brought up somebody, he brought up uh, FDR. And I know Kyle Kalinske loves to say FDR was the most uh, leftist president out there, even though he left out black people. And it's the same thing where I remember him talking about, um, what's that name? African leader. He, he died. Uh, uh, Nelson Mandela, where I didn't know that part that Nelson Mandela went to train and then was ready to fight and kill people to get his land back. Yep. And, and uh the way Kokolinski phrased it, he said, well, there was a bunch of these angry blacks over here. And then there was like a, there was Nelson Mandela over here. And he was like, he was like milk toast. So the, they, the whites decided to go with the milk toast guy versus the angry blacks. And I was like, wait a minute. Now that I'm hearing the story behind uh, the Nelson Mandela, well, Nelson Mandela seemed like he was an angry black. So he was willing to kill some people to get his land back. Right. And, You're but right. He put him in jail first, and I wonder, like, what would have been looked like if they had Patrice Lumumba, uh, uh, um, Nelson Mandela before that. But and, I also, but I also have friends that are Persian, um, that are from Iran, and they will tell you that Hamas is a terrorist organization. So it's it's. It's, it's, it's just so much. It's, it's so much. It's, it's a mess. It's, it's a headache. Go ahead, Noel. Uh-oh. There you okay, go. Good evening, everybody. And um, first, let me say, you know, it is great news, Savvy, that your biopsy results came back negative. Um, I have had a fair amount of um, experience with cancer in my family and you know, I think I mentioned earlier in the year back in August, I had a niece who was suffering with cancer and unfortunately she passed and she was in her late thirties. And at this present moment, I have a cousin who has been diagnosed with acute leukemia who is battling and he is in his forties and his sister passed of cancer about four years ago. So it it is it's everywhere you know it causes you to look twice and like you say healthcare and who has it and who doesn't and who gets the early treatment the early diagnosis and this and that and when you think about this nation and how it is positioned as the premier and eldest democracy and all of this crap but we have some of the most regressive approaches to our public domain as any third world nation. It just really doesn't make sense. Um, 
But what I wanted to say, so I'm glad that, you know, your situation looks good um, because, and I, and I know what that can be to have to wait for those test results and wait for the tests and the um, suspense and anxiety that, that not knowing creates. Um, so hopefully you'll be able to get some good rest in the days and weeks ahead. Um, but if I pivot to the conversation now, um, I'm just taken by when I consider, you know, first, let me say Al Jazeera has a really nice three or four part series on the whole Nakba situation with the occupation of Palestine. And what is clear from those um, episodes is that this whole movement to create a space for the ethnic religious Jews had been in the works well before the Holocaust and well before 1948. And in the roll up to 1948, there was violence and occupation ahead of that, which was led by the British Empire, which had taken possession of Palestine through their um, win in the First World War, where they were gained um, possession of Palestine th from the Ottoman Empire. Mm. So this whole movement thing to create a state for the Jews existed before 1948, and there was a lot going on politically in the roll-up to it. Um, and that said, you know, to Darlene's point, it sometimes seems like we're dealing with a strategy from a century or two ago in the current age. And that is exactly what we're dealing with. You know, when this whole thing got started in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the whole approach to settler colonialism was a different dynamic and it was just more of an acceptable thing. But here in the 21st century, we're trying as a world to pivot from the language of it, but the dynamics of it are the same. And you know what's you know what's always important to me is when we discuss the framing of things. And if you don't get the framing right, your whole compass and moral centering on an issue is going to be as out of kilter as your framing is. So, for instance, when we talk about the United States, when we just say, oh, you know, the 50s was this and, you know, FDR built out the middle class and this and that. And you skip altogether the Nakma, Nakba, that the indigenous peoples of this land dealt with, followed by an enslavement of people who were removed from another land. If you don't frame the United States existence in those terms, you lose control and perspective of what is really going on, which is why I consistently refer to this place as a plantation nation, because that is the proper framing. That is how it began. And we deal with it today in the, in the fact that our whole concept of management labor relations is rooted in a slave operation, in a plantation operation. And so from there, 
when we deal with issues like the the westward expansion and manifest destiny, what that meant to the indigenous peoples was an occupation, uh, uh, you know, an expulsion from their lands, a dislocation, and pert near genocide. We only have a teaspoon of them left and we lump them all together as indigenous peoples, not really dealing with the fact that they came from different tribal, you know, experiences. Mm. But it's so few to we just kind of lump them all together and this and that. But again, if you don't see the United States through that framing as a settler colonialist project, you neglect the imperialist um, motivations that the original people from England brought with them. We talk about, oh, how novel the idea of the Declaration of Independence and all men were created equal and this and that, how, how that was such a, a radical change in thought in the times that it was put forward. But if you don't go right back and say, but it was hypocritical because at the time this nation was deeply immersed in slavery. If you don't deal with those realities, you just began to look at it as this wonderful beacon on the hill and freedom and this and that. And that's why I think you have to frame things from the basis of how they really got started. And so when we look at the occupation of Palestine by Israel, it is a settler colonialist project. And it was supported by um, Great Britain and followed up by the United States. And that's how this whole thing got started. You cannot create a nation state within a nation that already exists and inhabited. And mm -hmm. if you go back and look at, you know, some of the footage from that um, Al Jazeera series, they go through it. Those people were literally marched out of their homes and just, you know, displaced, forced to leave, forced to flee by force. And it was a violence that did it. And now when the, the remnant that's left is saying, hold on, this is our land, you cannot frame Hamas and any steps that Hamas has taken in the same moral framework that you deal with the IDF. Their motivations are different, their bases are different, the legitimacy and the objective of what they're trying to achieve is altogether different. So we can agree that violence is violence, but the motivation counts and the context matters. So it's just, you know, there is no way in the 21st century that we can see what we're seeing and not call it for what it is. And shame on all the people who can't. But it, it's no surprise to me that so many people in this nation cannot because they have been raised up on a whole context of lies and they don't really understand nor do they care to understand how this situation unfolded and manifests. And so when we listen to major media, the first thing they say is Israel has a right to, def to defend itself because that is the position they take to get you not to question that. If you question it, their whole narrative comes apart. 
And so the reality is Israel technically does not have a right to defend because it is the occupier. I cannot come to your place, Savvy, push you and your husband out of your home. And then when you come back to the door with a gun and you shoot at me, I say, ooh, that's violence, honey. That's terrorist. That Savvy is a terrorist. <laughs> the reality is I'm occupying your house and you have a right. And we cannot let history negate that right or pretend that it doesn't exist. And so when when they say Palestine will be free from from the river to the sea, they're saying we have a right to exist and be free in this nation. And nobody, I don't think, is really saying, oh, put all the Jews out. But they're saying we have a right to exist in the land that has been taken for us on an equal footing. And that the reality is Israel would not accept that because at this point, the Arabs still outnumber the Jewish population. And we're talking about a Jewish population that includes people who have migrated from other lands like the United States to add up those numbers. They don't want to be ruled and take the chance that on a one person, one one man, one vote issue that the Palestinians and the Arabs would vote them out. But we see the same conditions existing in Israel that existed in this nation during Jim Crow. You have a separate set of laws, a separate set of applications, redlining essentially almost de facto created regions in this nation that were majority black. We had massacres where this nation allowed its constituents to just burn down what other people had built and there were no consequences. It is the same dynamics. It looks the same. It smells the same. It is the same. And we have to at least be able to bring a moral clarity to this issue in order that we preserve and protect the humanity of the occupied peoples. And the shame of it all is that at this juncture, as we come to the close of the first quarter of the 21st century, the nations in the, on this planet have not come to a better way of dealing with these situations. We're still moving, trying to move in the same way that we moved a century or two ago, and it just does not add up. I just think it's such a horrible tragedy. This is the thing that, that I've been trying to explain to people too. I said, if someone came to your house and told you that your house now belongs to them, I'm not talking about a bank, but I mean, like someone doing that, like you're not going to try to say no or fight for your home. Like it, it, that's that's what I think um, some people on this issue and, and then they throw up the whole, uh, well, in, in biblical terms, the land belongs to us. Says who? Which Bible? Which version? Wait, so we we supposed to follow religion now? Like now it's okay to not have separation of church and state. Now it's okay to follow that religion. See, this is the hypocrisy of the U.S. government because my thing is, is this. Religion is a belief. It's a belief. Now, some people may say, oh, it's it's fact to me. And that's exactly what the state of Israel is saying. Like the land is ours because the Bible says so. And we're supposed to be in the Holy Land. So now the Bible is law. 
It's, it's like and everybody does not subscribe or believe in the Bible. But here's the thing. If America is going to support this and say, well, you know, the the Jews have a, a biblical claim to this era, then we should be saying, OK, then what are we going to concede to the indigenous people who are left? That's right. What are we going to allow them? We won't even allow them to have the rights on the land that we acknowledged and built treaties around that said they had rights. And it's just this. You know, and the unfortunate thing is this whole ideology is rooted in imperialism and that whole ideology that the settlers brought with them. You know, and it has fomented capitalism, which thrives on the extraction of resources out of people, places and things. It attempts to commodify the entire planet. We know that a whole big motivation motivational force for the United States support of Israel is the discovery of gas and oil in that Gaza region. We know that America's quote unquote geopolitical interests in that region of the world has to do with resources. And so I'm saying we need to be attempting to do a different thing and be a better um, international citizen than what we're doing now because clearly it is not working. We see other nations moving with all due deliberation to change the paradigm. And if we were a smart nation, we would come to come to ourselves and say, hold on, we are really on a wrong course. We need to work with everybody. We cannot continue to enforce what we want on the rest of the world. And that is what is going to bring us to some type of, you know, escalation and potential third world war. It's all fought over resources and who gets to occupy whom and extract what resources at what cost. But what is also clear to me in equal measure is that the, you know, the voice of the masses in this country gets shut down as soon as we pick a lesser of the two evils, the elite can get on the main line and get Biden and Coons and everybody else they want to talk to and make their positions known and A, B, and C. But the masses, no matter how big the protests, no matter how loud the, how loud the cry, we can depend on the elected officials to listen to their donor class supporters. And so... I just don't see a good way out of this. It is frightening to me to consider the amount of power and control that a certain segment of this population can wield, not in defense or in proportion with American interests, but because of interests in a whole nother place. They're dominating the political scene as they shape foreign policy through an allegiance to a whole nother nation. And it, it just strikes me as, wow, you can get people elected and unelected and this and that and kicked out and elevated based on a position they take on foreign policy. It could be that I really believe it could be the devil incarnate running. And as long as they took the right position on a certain foreign policy, 
they would support them. Just you can be horrible domestically, but as long as you doing what they say do in terms of foreign policy, you good. And yeah. so this nation, and I think that is a portion of what foments a rise in anti-Semitism. It is the fact that they are dominating the whole country and your voice can't even be heard. And if you dare to critique the amount of power they have amassed, you're called anti-Semitic. And I just think, wow, we are really in a dangerous space because we can't be heard. But this minority can amass this type of money and use it this way. And the hell with the, what's really better for me and you. They have privileges in Israel that we don't have as citizens in the United States, but we're contributing to their you know, military aid and aid otherwise, and they get all these benefits that we can't get here. It just is yeah. so upside down. Yeah. Well, another thing um, I, I want to mention as well, and then I want to go back to Darlene um, to let Darlene finish, um, and then we'll pivot back to Eric and then to, to Bindu. One of the other things I want to mention too, listen, I totally understand uh, about the Holocaust, I totally acknowledge it's a travesty, uh, terrible, terrible event that took place in the world. What I find very interesting is that our government and other governments are willing to say just that when it comes to that event. But when you bring up the history of slavery in the United States and what happened to African people when they were brought to this country. When you bring up the 400 years of slavery, free labor that happened in this country, you do not get that level of support. There have been no, no cash reparations paid to African American descendants of slavery till this day. There have been none. And I want to let you know, Jewish people got reparations. Germany paid them reparations. Nothing has been done for African-American descendants of slavery in this country today. Still, still. So the question, one of the questions we need to ask is, why the hell are more people not livid about that? The same way that Hakeem Jeffries and Richie Torres can stand up for Israel and defend Israel and defend the Israeli people. You can't even get Hakeem Jeffries and Richie Torres to stand up for the atrocities that happened to African people that came to this country. You can't get them to push and fight for cash reparations for African-American descendants of slavery. Think about that, guys. If they do that, Sabrina, they'll make sure that those blacks turn against their own people. But this is why I continue to say that black people need to leave the fucking Democratic Party. Because eventually it's going to get to the point where people are like, oh, go to Republican Party. No, you have been brainwashed. You are allowing mainstream media to brainwash you and say, if you leave the Democratic Party, the Republican Party's 10 times worse. I'm not telling you to go to the Republican Party. I'm telling you, leave this shit altogether. Don't go for any of them. They're not voting for your interests. They're not fulfilling policies that actually benefit the black community. 
But what is holding us back are some of the senior members of the African-American community that continue to be loyal supporters to a party that continues to pander to the black community and won't give us any tangible concessions. And so what's really interesting to me for all the people saying that Israel has a right to exist, for all the people saying that we have to protect Jewish people, those same people aren't saying that about black people in this country. This is what I want people to really get. Japanese Americans, the internment camps in this country, which happened under FDR, by the way. So when people like Kyle say FDR was like the best president, yada, yada, that motherfucker also was the one who implemented the Japanese internment camps. Make sure we talk about that. Japanese Americans received cash reparations from the United States government and that shit happened under Ronald Reagan. So the question that I bring is this, and this will continue to push for anybody coming to me and saying, don't talk about that. That's identity politics. That's divisive. Fuck off. Because I've sat here and I've listened to people talk about that same type of so-called identity politics for every other group and they got fucking concessions. It's black people they don't want to give concessions to. And the whole damn country needs to acknowledge that shit. You guys have got to stop allowing people to tell you that it is divisive to talk about these things. It's not fucking divisive. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about it because they don't want it to alienate their base. They don't want their viewers to get mad at them because they're not catering to white needs in this society. And that is a fucking problem. Period. It sound like, sound like I missed something good. I was on the phone with my nephew. <laughs> Um, I'll pivot back to Darlene. I'll let you finish Darlene and then I'll get to um, Eric. I just want to say for both you and Noel, you both spoke so elo eloquently and I don't, I don't get things out that thing, but you both spoke what was, you know, what I could resonate with what both of you were saying. And it, you know, it's, it, it's just, yeah, it's sad. But the one thing I wanted, I guess, to change the subject a little bit and not be and not be so sad, and I, just to say a good thing, I live in New York, so I got to say I didn't vote for Eric Adams. I didn't go and vote for him. I learned from listening to you guys and definitely listened to Roger. I went and vote for the ballot initiatives that were on there, and in the thing, I wrote in "fuck you" for the people. I, I wasn't going to sit there and vote for any of you. I refuse to be a Democrat or a Republican. They can both kiss my ass. And and the thing is, I get all these emails or texts from them, and they won't, you know, they'll tell you to stop. And then, of course, I'm, you, I, my blood pressure boils when I get it. You know, I got one from Gavin Newsom. Get the hell out of here. I'm like, I don't, I, you are a millionaire. What the hell are you asking me for money for? I, you know, I, I had to go a fuck a Democrat and da 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 and, <laughs> but, it, yeah, I don't vote for either one of them anymore. And I'm very, I'm 
very proud that I didn't vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. I am very happy. I, they, they're both horrible people, and I don't have to feel bad for voting for either one of them. So thank you. <laughs> have All a good right. night, everyone. When you mentioned all parties of the I had a co-worker. Oh, oh, we can't hear. Eric, can, I'm sorry, not Erica. Roger, thanks. Go ahead, Asher. I had a co-worker, well, not a co-worker, basically one of the security guards. He was talking to me, and he kind of looks like he's condescending, but he pretends like he, he knows shit. And we were talking about the Democratic parties, how um, I said Cornel West is pro- is basically running in the de- in, as an independent. He's like, who's Cornel West? So he looks him up, and he finds out he's like 70 years old. Then I break up the other people that were running in. I said it's going to be a bloodbath in 2024. Joe Biden may not make it. <clears throat> Donald Trump probably is going to win. They're probably not going to eat that much under Donald Trump's base. And he said to me, oh, well, if the, Demo- if the Republicans lose, win, they would put you back in slavery. And when he said that shit, I remember something that Joe Biden said in 2012. He looked at a crowd, he black people, he said, if you don't vote, if you don't vote for uh, Barack Obama, the Republicans would put you back in chains. And I'm like, Dude, there's no way the Republicans would fucking do that. They might gerrymander shit, but there's no way they can do that shit. And then I explained to him that the Democrats are no different from the Republicans. He's like, no, 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 no. Democrats are better. I'm like, no, they're not better. What do you mean they're better? He's like, no, they are better because Democrats, they do stuff. There's a point he brings up Bernie Sanders. He says Bernie Sanders is a social Democrat. He's like, make no fucking difference. A social democrat is just a democrat. No, no, no. It, no, it's not. A social democrat is a socialist. I'm like, no. Just because you put an adjective in front of a word democrat doesn't mean that Bernie Sanders is going to do shit. Bernie Sanders is basically a racist. He's a racist himself. He's a, he's, he's a fucking colonialist. He doesn't give a shit about the, the whole Palestinian thing. He He's saying we need a humanitarian pause. Just say the word ceasefire, motherfucker. You can't say humanitarian. You can't say ceasefire? Is, it, is, that, is that like a there's a word going around. You can't say ceasefire. Listen, there's a meme that was actually circling around on uh, Twitter for a while. It usually happens during football season. I haven't seen it yet this year, but it'll probably come back. And it's uh, Morpheus from The Matrix. Huh. And it says, what if I told you nobody cares about those five Super Bowls Dallas won over 20 years ago? Right? <laughs> so make fun of the Cowboys, right? So it just... it. When I think about Bernie Sanders and people like, well, Bernie Sanders marched with Dr. King and was part of civil rights, like protests and da da da. That's cool. But here's the thing. Based on what I see from Bernie Sanders today, and this applies to Al Sharpton, this applies to all the rest of them, Jim Clyburn, all the people that say I marched with people. Based on what I've seen today, honestly, Bernie, what if I told you that I don't care about those marches and those protests that you did 20 years ago based on the shit that I see from you today. So what you did 20 years ago, that shit don't matter no more. It don't matter. It's not relevant. I'd say the same thing to Al Sharpton's crazy ass. I'd say the same thing to people like, oh, what's the other guy? Oh, Jim Clyburn. To Jim Clyburn, same thing. Stop talking about what you did in the 70s and the 60s and all that shit. Motherfucker, what you doing today? Where are you now? You sitting there on TV, on MSNBC, in a suit. Jim Clyburn lives in the poorest district in South Carolina, but that motherfucker is rich. Like, yep. explain that. 
Yeah, because I told the guy, look, listen, just because Bernie Sanders had this one one crisis one time, he voted against the war, but he's been pro-war ever since. I mentioned that he bombed Bosnia. He basically agreed with all the wars the United States wanted to do. He's just as much culpable, has blood on his hands for uh, uh, when it comes to the, the America's hegemony. And then he said, well, why would people want to vote uh, dem him Democrats, though, if they didn't think the Democrats were better? I said it's probably because the politician will basically tell you, well, there's no way out because you got blood on your hands because you put them in office. Therefore, don't wash the blood. Just take more blood on your hands. Yeah, let's bring in um, um, Eric. I want to go back to you really quick because I just wanted to make sure. Hey, Savvy, can you, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to go back. You know, you were speaking with a lot of passion about reparations. And I think, you know, in order for that, to, to really take off, we need, uh, or there's a need for an orchestrated marketing strategy to do to do this, you know, to get a lot of people behind it. Uh, and it would take, you know, it would take years to get there, but it, it can be done, especially if, if, if the marketing uh, body behind it would do and show the studies of why and how it's gonna benefit, you know, our, our black people here in America but also us as Americans as a whole and, and why and how it should be done, that it has to be cash, that it, it can't be through school systems, it can be, you know, by the status quo, a holistic approach to a marketing campaign to bring about reparations. And, and I do believe with time, because a lot of the older generations are passing away, Savvy, and, and I do have faith that the younger generations would side and see the, 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 you know, why this has to be done. I, I believe that, you know, I, I, but again, but it would have to be a, a, a strategy, a campaign or marketing uh, so that you can get all the numbers behind, behind it. So it would happen. Uh, I, I, I think it would happen if it was approached that way. And uh, again, a lot of these older motherfuckers that, 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 you know, are, are still racist and don't want to see this. They're going to pass away, Savvy. And if the marketing campaign behind reparations started now, I would say in a good amount of years, you know, I'm not saying like 20 years, but it could be done within a reasonable amount of time and it could happen, you know, within our lifetime, I think, if, if it was really thought out. And also, if behind it, we would put, uh, you know, sort of pillars behind it so that if you were a person of color, and, and you were in a, in a in whatever party you were in, and you wanted people to support you that were of color, we would say, hey, motherfucker, you, you're going to have to support this if you want our vote. You know what I mean? You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of being kind of crude there, a little bit crude of what I'm saying, but, you know, putting those carrots behind what we want to have accomplished. And I think with time, it could happen, you know? That's that's a really good point there, um, Eric. I'm gonna go Bindu. I, I promised I'd come to thank you. you. Thank so you, Bindu, you're thank you so much. You're a speaker. You just have to go ahead and unmute and then I'll I'll bounce back to you, uh Roger. Just gotta hit the unmute button. There you go. All right, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, cool, cool. So like definitely been feeling a lot of you know, the things everybody's been saying, but, you know, just off rip, I like to say, Savvy, you know, glad to hear that you're feeling better. I've been kind of out of the loop for the past, you know, week or so. So I didn't really like, you know, know about your health situation. So I'm glad that you're doing all right and everything. Um, 
I guess I would like to, you know, kick it off with just like going off what we're talking about with this topic. And I think reparations, is, I think the problem with it really is, is that you have a lot of black people that just really aren't about it. Honestly, I'm going to just keep it a buck because you had like not only not only are we arguing with white people, but we're also arguing with other minority groups. You know, well, I don't I don't agree with you know, people's assessments like Dr. Umar and Tariq Nasheed and all these other motherfuckers out here. Um, and a lot of, a lot of the ADOS, like they're like how, how they're going about it. I don't necessarily agree with it, but the mentality is that like whenever black people, whenever we try to fight for some shit for us, you know, we have, we always have another group that's being backed by white people to come along and muck it all up. That was the whole thing with, um, what was it? The Supreme Court shit with um, the colleges. Affirmative uh, action. Yeah, like we all know that shit wasn't helping Black Americans, but the fact that you had, you know, a, a specific group of Asian people that were coming along saying, "Hey, like this isn't fair. You have all these unqualified," basically trying to frame it as a bunch of unqualified Black Americans like benefiting from this when it's like nah but y'all don't say shit about the fucking uh the rich white people that's been coming here like the felicity hoffmans of the world and all that shit like they tried to frame it as a us thing and it's like you know it's certain shit like that but then like when you look at the history of us we've we've always fought for everybody in this country like half the reason why you know a lot of these different groups are even here in the first place is because we fought for them to have rights here along with our own rights so we have an uphill battle with that, but then we have a, a uphill battle with our own. Like you have people like Larry Elder out here, you know, spewing nonsense about fucking deadbeat dads and shit. When like the data specifically goes against that, you know, I think Candace Owens is is good. She's speaking up for the Palestinian people now. But my question is, where where were you when the same Zionist lobby was going after Kanye? Like there were some things I didn't agree with what Kanye was saying, but you swap out Zionist for Jewish, like what he was saying. And a lot of rhetoric makes sense. And a lot of people that he was talking about, like happens to be Zionist as well. I'm not saying I agree with everything that he was saying, but the overall point I'm making is, you know, she kept her fucking mouth shut because not only is Ben Shapiro Jewish, but the people that own his network are also Jewish and, and Zionists as well. Like that own the Daily Wire network, like the people that did the startup for that, go look into what they're into and, and you'll see. So she kept her mouth shut and that was supposedly her friend. So that's when like, I, you know, I was calling that out back when that happened, but just like, but that that's the overall, you know, the overall metric is that unfortunately we had, like we were fighting, uh, I don't like to call it a white supremacist structure because there's nothing like, like a, a group that like that is that's that truly believes they're supreme wouldn't act in the ways that they do, because not not so not only do they want to reject our claims of you know oppression, you know brutality like the years of you know the bullshit we've had to deal with here in this country, but then on top of that they want to take that and frame it as if that's happening to them now. It's just the fucking craziest shit I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, I never believed in a lot of the terms that, you know, like the liberals use, like white fragility and shit like that. But it's, I see it on full fucking display now, <laughs> like, especially with this eye and this shit. Like, I feel like this is the, the Palestine situation is definitely being framed as, 
you know, like a white issue, kind of like how Ukraine was, like when the Ukraine situation first popped off, you saw a lot of people saying, oh, these are blonde haired, blue eyed people that look like us. Like you hearing stories. Yeah. You hearing stories about the Africans, like they made them wait <laughs> to get out last while they could make sure they got all the like white Ukrainians out of the country that were trying to get out. Like, and then, you know, with the Palestine situation, it's kind of the same thing because the Israelis, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of the, like, I think it was, um, what's his face? Uh, it's another YouTuber. I'm drawing a blank on what his name is, but he brought up the fact that like, um, I think every single Israeli prime minister has been like European or something like that, like an Eastern European person. Like there's never been like a non Eastern European, uh, prime, prime, um, you know, person in charge of the country. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, like all of, all of it just makes sense. And that's why like, when I explain it to people, like, you know, like I just say it bluntly. I'm like, bro, look, this isn't a religious issue. This isn't Islam versus Judaism. This isn't none of that shit. This is the age old white people coming and taking other people's shit and then playing victim when they fight back. That's pretty much what this shit is. And it's you said what? Yo, Scott, you said that you were watching a YouTuber that brought up basically all these. Uh... Uh, no, um, Richard Medhurst. Medhurst. Because I remember somebody was bringing that up. That they showed a bunch of these bankers, Hollywood, all these people are just, they're Jewish. And they're basically a bunch of white Jewish, converted white Jewish people. Yeah, and they're Zionists on top of that. Like I said, there's a lot of shit, you know, Ye was saying, I, you know, it was a lot, you know, a lot of shit that was like, all right, bro, you kind of, you kind of tripping here. Like you making good point. Like, like a lot of the point, like a lot of, a lot of the points he was making about how like, yo, like, you know, a certain like, and he wasn't even just talking about Jewish people at a certain point. He was talking about, yo, when, when this group comes here, you know, there's different groups that dominate certain sectors of the economy. Thus they create political power and clout via that. And, you know, he was bringing up the fact that like black people don't have that other people, you know, have control of our image to the world. So when you look like hip hop, for example, that was the point he kept bringing up. Like when you look at hip hop, the reason why we don't have conscious rappers like we do, or the conscious rappers that we do have are like half assed or milk toast. Like, like J Cole's my favorite, J Cole's my favorite rapper, but the, the nigga don't go where he need to go with his music. Same thing with Kendrick and all these other niggas. But like, with, like he was bringing up the fact, like I, I can turn on the radio or go on Spotify and hear, I'm a killer nigga. I'm a fuck your bitch. I can hear that 50 million times. And then I turn around to see Lior Cohen saying, well, I got people to feed. That's what sells. Da, da, da. That's, that's what he's talking about. We don't, black Americans don't have control of how we're presented to the world. So now the rest of the world just think we're what the media, what, what, what the dominant society has portrayed us as when that is not us. And, uh, I know I push this book a lot on here, but, uh, Powernomics by Dr. Claude Henderson talks about this a lot too, how like, you know, uh, black, we just, we don't have that control of our image and how we're presented. Now, my issue on the flip side of that is though, you have a lot of black conservatives that take that talking point and then try and push this like ultra conservative, like lifestyle that's more in line with, you know, what the Republican party wants and shit like that's where your Candace Owens is coming and all these, I like to call them conservatives. That's when they all come into play and start pushing their nonsense and bullshit. But, you know, it just, but ben, it, do, it, yeah. that ties right into what I have consistently said in terms of this Bengal plantation nation. We were in fact commodified. 
we were property in this nation and it has never let that go. So as a result, any milk that this cow produces is milk for the plantation. Any music you create, any way I can use you, any way I can control your art so that I can exploit it for my benefit, that is what capitalism does. And that's why people are so resistant to, you know, ideas that would liberate the descendants of slaves from the bondage that we still suffer. Because dollar for dollar, dime for dime, this society benefits more off black labor, black talent, black art than any other group. And these other groups that come to this country, the reason they can get in certain sectors and become dominant is because they become culturally intact. You know, the uh, the Italians, when they come, they maintain that Italian identity. The, you know... um all of the other people who migrate to this country can maintain that semblance of their historical context. We don't. Ours was all distorted. It was bastardized, blended up and mixed up. And so whatever culture we have is something that we have created uniquely through the experience of having been enslaved, but we never gained a footing. And when you talk about the people like the Candace Owens and these and that, these are the people that have looked up and said, okay, this is a plantation. If I want to get in the big house and I got to do these things, I'm going to do these things to get in the big house. Because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I want to be in the big house versus being a field slave. And they do it. But the only thing that carries the day in this country is if you perpetuate the ideals and values of capitalism, which is exploitative and extractive. And with respect to white supremacy, the only value of that is not to suggest that white people in the purest sense are, you know, superior beings, although that was a part of the underpinning of that ideology, but the importance of it is it established whiteness at the very beginning as being a premium over blackness. And that is how the country not only built out its labor, but it built out its social structure. So we'd, we're not only pinned to the bottom economically because we used to be like Betsy the Cow, but we also anchor the social register because we have been made the bottom socially. So nobody really gives a hoot or a heck. And, and that's why this thing continues to go the way that it Yeah, I was just going to say, too, um, I, I think that I'll put this in, in like everyday experiences, right? When basically what has happened in the world is that whiteness has become the default. It is, it is the default. And I'll give you a couple examples. I did a story about this a long time ago about the skin bleaching creams in other countries. My dad was stationed in South Korea years ago. My dad was like, in South Korea, they have aisles. You can walk into, you know, like a, a, a beauty store. There are aisles and aisles of skin bleaching cream products. Same thing in Thailand. So if I had an uncle that was that lived in Thailand, he said the same thing. You can find this also if you go to India and you notice, you go to India, you'll notice that 
a lot of the people in India have darker skin. But you won't see that when you look on the television. When you watch Bollywood movies, you'll notice that most of the Indian people that are represented have lighter skin. Now, go ahead and fast forward to the United States. The same thing happens here. And I'll tell you another example about how whiteness is the default. If you go to a grocery store, and I say grocery store because they don't usually specialize in this type of stuff, but they have it. If you go to a grocery store and you go over to the aisles where they have um, the shampoo and body wash and all that stuff, sometimes they'll also have makeup. You know what I've noticed? And guys won't have to deal with this if you're not using makeup, but I was in a pinch one time and I needed to, I was like, oh shit, I forgot my makeup. I was like, I'll just run into the grocery store and get some. You know what I noticed? If you go into a grocery store and you go over to the makeup section, who's the makeup for? White women. Whiteness is the default. If you look at certain clothing items, nude pantyhose, who are those nude pantyhose for? White women, white people. So that this is this is a big this is a big part of the problem. Like, why you guys know we've come further than we were like many years ago in this country. There have been improvements. There was a black woman. I forget her name. She invented Band-Aids for black people that actually match our skin complexion. You, you see, because even when you look at the actual Band-Aids, it's for white people. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. The Band-Aid is actually supposed to blend in. It's not supposed to stand out on your skin. So the thing is, is that if whiteness is the default, then everything else becomes or falls into the category of other. Now, that's not divisive. That's not identity politics. And what has happened is some of the people that are a part of that default group, they get uncomfortable when you bring up these situations that involve the other things that those groups are going through, because then it means that they have to acknowledge that they do have some type of privilege that you don't have. And privilege does not mean money. And people need to stop saying that. That is not the definition of privilege. You have some type of right. You have some type of uh, edge or whatever that is granted to you for whatever reason, whether it's your race, whether it's your, you know, for some people it is income, whether it's your wealth or whatever, that other people who are not a part of your race or in your class are not privy to. They are not able to have that type of privilege. And it seems like to me, some people just don't want to acknowledge that. Identity politics, the definition of identity politics is when someone uses their identity in a political way. So like, for example, Kamala Harris, I'm running for president. I can be the first black Asian female. That's identity politics. Talking about what your experiences are like being LGBTQ or what your experience are about like being African-American, talking about like, you know, social justice issues, talking about police brutality. That is not identity politics. And what has happened is that Groups of people that felt uncomfortable dealing with those issues have decided to call anything outside of that white default identity politics. That's how we got here. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of like that's kind of like 
you know, when when you when you and when you try to explain that to them, like I recently had a falling out with a homie, not about Israel Palestine, but about like racial shit. Because like he would like this is why I'm like terms like like fragility and white fragility and shit like that. Like I used to not believe that shit until I started seeing it happen with with people that I consider friends and shit. When it's like when I'm learning more about my family history, for example, like I'm learning about my grandfather's family in Virginia, how like the reason why a lot of my family ended up up north in Philly and different places up north and everything is because they got ran out by white mobs. Like I had members of my family who were literally like executed by the state because they were accused of raping a white woman. Like so much shit that I learned about with my family. And then I sit here, I'm explaining that. Like I have a whole fucking book about a side of my family because when they have a family reunion, there's white family members that show up as well. And like, we pretty much all know that's because of, because of slavery, because they had, they took the name of the slave masters and shit. It's, it's a weird fucking thing. And they wrote a book about this, about my family. And I like, I, I was learning about this shit fairly recently. And it's like, I'm explaining this to a white homie and shit like that. And like, it's like, it's like, it's like a fucking like, Imagine like those sci-fi movies where you see like the Terminators or like the all, like these army of like robots or whatever, and one of them gets like damaged and it's not functioning, but they accidentally turn it on. It's it was like a it was like that like a fucking sci-fi movie like a switch turned on and then it's like all these fucking like Ben Shapiro fucking talking points start coming out. I'm like, bro, what the fuck is you talking about right now, bro? Like, <laughs> like he's always going like, oh, my family worked hard. They immigrated over here. This, that, and the third, da da da, and. And the funny part is he's he's a huge like anti-immigration guy. And that's what I find kind of funny because I'm like, bro, for all intents and purposes, I'm fucking more American than you, bro. I, my family been here from the fucking start. From the boats, bro. <laughs> like, so like for you to sit here and talk about what you're like, nah, bro, you don't get to tell me how America how my own fucking country is and my, how my own fucking family has perceived this country from the beginning. And I'm seeing it now, like, it, it just changes forms. Like, you know, we had slavery, then we had Jim Crow. But now I like to point out now, it's just it's zip codes and credit scores now, how they keep black people in line. They let certain ones come into their areas, you know, come around them. But then other ones, they, that's why you're hearing a lot of this rhetoric now that they're saying, oh, oh, we need to, 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 uh, it was like this one, like, I think he was like a cartoonist or some shit. He was like, but, oh, white people just need to get away from black people, da, 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 like, I'm like, if you, that's how you feel, bro. Fine. Can we cut the check for y'all? Go do that shit though. Like that's, that's all I think it's been asking for. Like we, We'll go build. Like when we go build our own shit, y'all come to us and destroy our shit. You know, you know, <laughs> you know what else too, though? Like, um, like keeping people in check and stuff like that. It's just, I'm going back to that video with Chris Coons, with Aaron Monte confronting Chris Coons on the train. That's that's my senator too. That's my senator. <laughs> okay, so I'm yeah. that video, and for Chris Coons, like his elitism. That's how it is, Tabby. That's how it is, and I swear, I, I lied to you not. Our, I think Chris Coons is a junior senator. Our senior senator is Tom Carper, if I'm not mistaken. He's our saying like a couple of a few years back, I want to say in like 2018 or 2020, he had a race 
and it was like against this progressive woman. I forgot what her name was, mm. but um, she was running against him, and she was like calling out all the corruption. Like, oh, he takes money from this, from the Dupont family. All the the Duponts are big here in Delaware too. But they talking about all this shit, the credit card company, all this corruption. This, I swear, I lied to you not when I saw this shit. It blew my fucking mind because I did not know Delaware was this corrupt. He looked this woman in her fucking face and was like, "What are you talking about? That's the Delaware way." <laughs> like he straight, he said that to her face on live television, on live fucking television. That is the Delaware way. That is what we do. And it's like looking at Biden's history. Like my dad, my you know my dad. Well, you know, he he uh, worked in for like uh, for um, Bank of America, I think, before it was called Bank of America or whatever. He told me about all that shit. He said, oh, yeah, them Biden's is corrupt as shit. <laughs> he told me about all the because I didn't know my pop. My pop is like kind of older. So, like, I ain't know a lot of, you know, a lot of the situations he'd been in. Like he done told me story. My Like my dad done faced like regular racism like this motherfucker. Like he went to school in Virginia. And it's, it's funny because my mom's father's from virginia and he went to school there too but he done got chased home by you know a group of rednecks and shit and by the say the saving grace one of the girls that was in the truck she was friends with my dad's girlfriend it was like oh that's such and such boy leave him alone Other, who would have known what happened to him he done faced racism in the corporate sector like my he's a contractor now he done faced racism there I, I literally had to sit and watch fucking georgia police come on my pop's fucking property because they didn't believe it was his and pat him down like he was some like random nigga or some shit like on his own fucking property you, know like, another, you guys know another <laughs> thing that's been happening too um i have to i wanted to cover this story but i can't because it's a documentary and it's copyright so i can't even play it on youtube but um i'll see if i can send it out just via the newsletter so you guys can see this because you need to hear about this I covered a story a couple months ago about a 95 year old uh, grandma where they were trying to take her land. The real estate investors were trying to take her family land, which has been in, in her name and her family name for like decades. And they were trying to build like condos on that land. Now she went to court and apparently she's still on the land. But there was another story that was just sent to me um, that basically it was a black family who also same thing. They had that land in their family and they actually went to jail because they would not give up their land. I'm going to send it to you guys in the newsletter. Um, but it, it is a, there's finally a documentary about it. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, it was, it was a, not, not exactly the same as that. I was reading about the whole, like, black farmer situation that's another thing like it was this dude i think it was like colorado or some shit like that like in middle america somewhere wyoming like they was up there with kanye or some shit <laughs> um, they were the the white neighbors were kind of they were jealous of them doing this farming thing and everything and they're like fucking with them like fucking killing their cattle and shit they're like doing all types of crazy shit and they went to the to the fucking police like you're supposed to and the police sided with the townspeople basically like it got to the point where the um like the father of the family like basically like confronted one of these guys and ended up getting arrested for it so it's like it'd be, it'd be all types of this shit and, and and like i said although i don't agree 100 percent with like a lot of the shit ados and uh fba a lot of those people say like they're a great resource for reading like a lot of these black stories that you don't hear about especially like in america 
because like the news just don't like they they like to talk about black lives matter but they don't they don't really fucking give a shit about black lives like that's how i'm like at least republicans like they tell you (laughs) just tell me like honestly keep it a bean with me they and they tell you like and i think i think trump tricked a lot of people though because i remember like back in the day like trump would say shit like oh like you know, we need to do right by black Americans. Like Trump was saying some shit. And that's why I think he's getting a lot of the vote now because people are seeing those old clips resurfacing now. And obviously you're going to, you know, you're going to have that apparatus, like push those clips out now that the election cycle is coming. But another one I was surprised to see that came out in favor of it was fucking Ann Coulter. That was another one I was surprised to see. Like she's a weird one. Yes. Like she, like now her framing is like, I'm like, all right, I get why you're doing it. But it's like the hair come out of Ann Coulter's mouth was weird. So basically, she, she in a way, she's almost like pitting the different groups against each other. So like LGBT, LGBTQ groups and the immigrant groups, because essentially she's like, oh, like Black Americans are the real ones. We owe a debt to. I, I think she's been going hard on Israel too. She like she's on that like Candace Owens wave. Where it's like, fuck Israel. Like it, like she's weird as shit. But I was like, I was surprised to hear her be pro reparations because it's like usually her type isn't <laughs> like can't like for example candace owens isn't like she thinks we're all just lazy bums who want like you know free money or some shit i don't fucking know <laughs> huh. um but, let's bring in um but she's caribbean american so let me bring in da- da- david dave is that you you gotta unmute hon um you're sitting in the, the caller queue i don't know okay dave i'll invite you as a uh speaker um, go ahead, Roger, and then I'll bring in Jenny. Okay, maybe Roger is uh, not ready. He might have took a call. What's up, Jenny? Just got to uh, hit the unmute button. Um, bottom left corner. It's going to be interesting to see if Candace Owens gets fired. Yo, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this on Thursday because uh, a couple of you sent that story to me. And one thing I will say is this. I don't fuck with Candace Owens. I think Candace Owens is just doing what she needs to do uh, to maintain her brand and to make money. Um, but one thing I will say when it comes to this issue of staying out of these other these international conflicts, she seems to be consistent about that, whereas people like Ben Shapiro are not. Well, and I've read quite a bit of Ann Coulter, and for a long time she has made the case that other groups that come to America who are minorities, who are not the children of slaves should not be given the same treatment as those who are descendants of slaves. She said that over and over that we owe them something that we do not owe to any other group. And she hasn't really taken the time to outline what she thinks they're owed, but she does acknowledge that America owes the slaves something. And so I wasn't, I'm not surprised that she said that. Yeah, I did not know about that. That's really interesting. Someone told me, someone told me Ann Coulter was friends with 50 Cent. Is that true? Or no, am I thinking about? Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, what's his name? Walker? Jimmy Walker. That's right. She's friends with Jimmy Walker. Someone told me that. Yeah, she she is. She does take some really crazy positions. She hates President Trump. She absolutely hates him. Which you wouldn't when did, think when she did this would. happen? Oh, she's she's gone on a rampage about him for the last, gosh, like at least four years, if not five, because she's all about building the wall 
and keeping illegals out. And she feels like he didn't do jack to stop all the illegals coming in. And I know Noel last week, I didn't get to talk because I had to go to sleep, but Noel was really articulating um, the issues with other minorities coming in and claiming the same rights as those who are descendants of slaves. I thought you said it really well, Noel. Yeah, we get stepped over a lot. Yeah. Well, I really called in because you were earlier, or I think it was Ashura was earlier talking about Kanye, or maybe it was some, maybe it was Bendu. And I did a show here on Colin last year with a guy named Hakeem, who is a beloved host. And we called it um, Kanye is Breaking Free. And we talked about how he was under the control of his um, trainer, his athletic trainer, who just happened to be Jewish. And this trainer threatened him. Kanye put these out in a series of tweets the very week that Twitter kicked him off. And he talked about how this man threatened him and said, we're not going to let you see your kids. You're going to be so medicated. You won't be able to even talk to them. And that, to me, that type of arrogance is evidence that somebody would superimpose their uh, thoughts and control over Kanye as the artist and that he didn't have anything to say back to that because he was captured. And if you recall, interestingly enough, it was during one of his concerts, he said, I like the way Candace Owens thinks. And then he had talked about President Trump. And this is before the 2016 election. He basically endorsed Trump and all of his handlers were like, we got to shut up Kanye. We can't have him talking this way. And then he disappeared for a while and come to find out later he'd been put in a, a lockdown situation and highly medicated. And so when you talk about freeing people from slavery, we have to include our artists, singers, actors. I think so many of them have been treated this way by Hollywood I'm not going to call them Jews, but by Hollywood evil people. I'm going to put the link to the chat that, or the podcast I did with Hakeem in the chat because we really explored who these people are, what fuels them, how much money they make off of the artists in their control. And so I just think that's a subject we should talk about all day long because of um, the evil that's there. It's just evil. Well, one thing I will mention is, um, and I'll pass it to you, Noel. One thing I do want to mention, I don't know how old everyone is in the chat, but I remember when Prince changed his name to that symbol in order to get out of his contract with uh, the record company. I think it was Warner Brothers he was under at that point in time uh, because Prince said that he was basically being controlled um, by the, the music industry. And so that was actually smart of Prince to do that. How do I get out of this? I just changed my name. Um, but there have been other people that have talked about this as well. And I feel like they've been blackballed uh, in, in Hollywood and in the music business. Um, go ahead, Noel. I know you were going to chime in for a second. I think uh, Kanye didn't phrase it well because not all Jewish people are Zionists. And I would think when I had this conversation with Katie Halper, Katie Halper said most Jews, in the, in the at least in the United States, are not Zionists. And also there are Christians that are Zionists as well. Go ahead, Noel. See, a part of the the thing that Jenny was saying that ties right into what I was saying is that 
you know, we are the descendants of chattel. We were owned and this nation grew rich and grew fat off getting a disproportionate benefit from our labor and our efforts. It That explains to you almost in large part why if you look up today in the 21st century, the vast majority of black people who have made it into the economic, you know, upper, upper income groups are basically entertainers, you know, because we were after the official chains were loosened, we were paid to run, jump, and fly. And so the control of our productivity to the point that they can extract the benefits of what we produce, it's always been there. You know, it is not as apparent as a physical chain anymore, but the control has always been there. And that's why we have such a difficult time trying to loosen ourselves from the floor economic floor of this economy is because that's how this economy grew rich and those people were when we went through reconstruction those southerners and the rest of the economy realized that it just couldn't do without slave type labor and that was the emergence of jim crow and when the nation broke free of that type of manual labor and went to the industrial revolution. One of the main issues that had to be fought was labor because they were used to getting labor for free. Then through Jim Crow, they were getting it at a very reduced rate. So when you went to industrialization, it was still all about getting as close to free as you could get with respect to labor. And even though we had a very prodigious labor movement, even now in the 21st century, what are we arguing about? Labor and who gets to be paid what? And we're living in a situation where we have corporations that make billions of dollars and still can come to the bargaining table and say, oh, we don't have enough money. We can't pay y'all this and that. That's because the original management labor paradigm in this country was a plantation where labor was free. And so the people who own things have always had this historical context where the idea was to get it as close as to free as possible. And when you think about it with respect to capitalism, the absolute best um, approach is free labor because that means all the spoils go to the owners. And so that's capitalism is saying, ooh, that's the best thing since sliced bread. And we have to wrestle against those instincts and in this, in terms of a national thing, but what made this situation more diabolical is in addition to the capitalist instinct, you polarize labor by race, which allowed one group, even though they were poor and, and working class and everything else, they had the privilege of not being black and not being owned. And that has been with us throughout this nation's history, we have never really confronted it or interrogated, but it is there. And that's why we have such a difficult time with poor and working class, poor white people is because they realize that if there was ever any real emancipation of race and the construct of race was neutralized, 
then they would be equal to the same pissy poor treatment that we get and the privilege that is now you know, nowhere near as potent as it was in years gone by, that would disappear. And they would be equally as available to be shot by a cop at a traffic stop as we are. We know that there's a disproportionate chance that black people stop by police for any reason. There is a disproportionate chance that it could go wrong and we could end up dead. We know that if you call the police, because, you know, one of your family members is having a mental health issue, there is a chance that you or your relative could end up dead. And those are simple realities that may happen to white people, but nowhere near as frequently as it happens to black people. And that's a privilege that they understand and they are they're holding on to it because they're also holding on to an identity that says if I'm poor as a rat, I'm still not black and therefore I'm still not at the very bottom of the social register in this country. Now, with the whole thing about the Jews, you know, what I was suggesting earlier is, you know, for Jews to be a numeric minority and one of the smallest minority groups in this nation they do seem to own and occupy the seats of power. And like um, Jenny was saying, you know, she said Kanye Handler just happened to be Jewish. But there has been a, a huge influence of Jewish people in the entertainment industries. They've gained control. And we have to be very careful because that does feed into uh, anti-Semitic ideology because you began to equate these people with power with who they are in a ethno-religious sense. And then you start to look around and say, well, hell, you know, I can get into a scuff with the everyday white person and they might not like what I say. But if you do that with the wrong people, they can take your job, they can take your career, they can silence you. And that's a whole different level. You know, they can control foreign policy. They can get people elected and get them unelected. That is, that's a discussion that you just cannot have in this country because, you know, you will be called everything, you know, under the sun and silenced. That's just the bottom. Well, yeah. Speaking of entertainment, I mean, it was a Jewish person that started um, Def Jam. Mm. That's 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 really interesting. Um, I always yeah. assumed it was Russell Simmons. No, no, it was. Um, uh, I can't believe I just forgot his name. It's gonna be all right, Roger. I told you guys a couple of months ago <laughs> that I grew up in a family where I was ritually abused. You asked me a lot of really good questions, Sabby, and it's my belief that the reason why Hakeem wanted me to come on to the show and describe my lived experience is because he posits that many of those in the enter entertainment industry are chosen from the time they're little children to play their part in the world. And whether it's an actor or a singer or even a politician, many of these people have been traumatized and tortured in the same way that I was as a child to grow up to become an influencer that's absolutely controlled. And so this is the, the work that I've kind of dedicated myself to 
as an activist and a journalist, and I've written quite a bit about a case that's been going on in Utah for the last year with some very high, highly placed people in the Mormon church and in the political scene in Utah who have deep ties to these types of networks. And the corruption and the stories that you hear coming out of the victims are just staggering when you think about the reach and the control that these people have been under. And so I'm going to share a link in the chat again with something else that if anybody's interested, they can go check it out. But um, regarding Ann Coulter's book, it was Adios America. She devoted a couple of chapters to the subject of reparations for black slave and their posterity and then how we don't owe that to anybody else. So if anybody wants to read it, I'll put a link in the chat too. I am I am getting so sleepy. I think I have to just knock off, but thank you for letting me call in and chat. Thank you so much. Let's go ahead and um, I'm going to try to speed through. Uh, let's go ahead and go to uh, Brent. I'm, I have a hard stop at uh, 1230. Uh, what's going on, Brent? Go ahead and unmute. Hello? Hey, how good, are you? Good, good. So the Aaron Mate thing, I saw that um, that video clip with that senator on the Amtrak. And um, I don't, that's just ridiculous that um, he's using the quiet car as an excuse. I rode that same Amtrak from Providence to Boston South Station. I believe it's the same route because it goes all the way down to Washington, D.C. The yep. quiet car is not, um, you could whisper. It's not like you have to be silent. There. There are strict rules that 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 quiet car is there to prevent like the crying baby or like the the person who likes to talk loud on the cell phone um, is to prevent those type of situations. So people have a, a, a more pleasant experience, but you could whisper. I mean, you could talk silently. You don't have to be completely silent and they could have moved to a different um, a different uh, place to talk. So. That guy's absolutely pathetic because he's a U.S. senator. And I feel like when you're a public servant, uh, you are no longer entitled to any sort of privacy. And um, the people, I read the, the YouTube comments, they say like, oh, Aaron, he should have went outside his office. It's a quiet car is inappropriate. Well, um, the guy's a U U.S. senator and he's um, refusing to take action. Um, I believe the people in Gaza... Um, they deserve some quiet too, right? And mm -hmm. you're worried. You're worried about um, some losing your privacy on a train. It's just absolutely pathetic. And um, I feel like he shouldn't have been kicked off. But that's just my opinion. I, it's just ridiculous how these these senators they um, they're so entitled and they feel like um, they can say whatever they want. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally hear you. And the thing is, like, even if Aaron would have approached him at, you know, at his office or whatever, it would have been the same criticism. Like, you know, Chris Coons just didn't want to have that discussion. He didn't want to talk about it um, because it's that topic of Israel and, and Gaza. And, I, you know, our politicians, what you said about being a public official or political official, I feel the same way. If you run for public office, again, you are representing a portion of the public, which is going to be your district, your constituents. 
I feel like that whole we can't approach you or ask you questions thing, I feel like that's off limits once you become a political official. Right, right. Like, um, as a private citizen, you aren't, like, if you're in the quiet, like a normal, regular public, uh, like a, a someone from the public, not a, a public official, yeah, you, you deserve peace and quiet. But once you're a senator, um, there's no you're not entitled to any sort of privacy anymore. And these people, they don't hold, they hide from the, they don't hold like conventions or anything to give access to the people. So what, what recourse do reporters have if they don't let themselves be available to the public? They just That's have right. to, you know, it's. That's right. And even in, in another thing I want to add to, even the White House correspondence, if you guys ever notice when they have those press briefings, the press secretary only calls on a certain number of reporters and certain reporters. For a long time, there were certain reporters that were ignored. So, I mean, you know, what are you supposed to do? That's why I, I said Aaron shouldn't have apologized. Apologize for what? I rode in the quiet car too, Brent, and I had a phone conversation on my cell phone when I rode in the quiet car. Quiet car doesn't mean you can't speak at all. You know, so it's just, it's I just, I was like, no, no, Aaron, don't apologize. You didn't do anything wrong. See, once they get you to believe that you did something wrong, then it's like this, like that can be used against you and you start to lose the argument. So that's why I was like, no, don't apologize. <laughs> right, right. I've met Aaron and he seems like a, like, he's not really that, usually that confrontational. I mean, it's, it seemed like, I don't know how he got that seat. Like people were questioning, how did he get that seat? Did he buy that seat just to be across from the senator, or was it luck? I mean, I don't know how he got that seat, and it just happened to be across from the senator. What, do you know if it was luck or coincidence, or? I mean, it was probably just luck, to be honest. Like it, it's, because <laughs> I mean, it's it, even if it. Here's the other thing: even if it wasn't luck, let's say he did know. So what? Right. Yeah, he, he's a senator, and there's no privacy. I mean, this happened with uh, Kristen Cinema. She was at a wedding, and uh, people were protesting her. And the I think the the bride or the family of the bride was like, "Please, don't protest her. This is the this is a wedding." And no, mm -hmm. when she should have left the wedding if if she if to show respect for the bride and groom. But no, once you're a senator, you're you, you're not entitled to any sort of privacy anymore. And but isn't it interesting that in terms of us as regular citizens, when we try and engage the state or any representative thereof, there are 50 million rules and protocols to govern it and this and that. If you want to protest, you got to march in this line and you can't say this loud or you can't do this or that because they really don't want to hear from us. But like I say, if it's a rich donor, you get them on the main line. You got their phone number. You can call their staff, this and that. Roger, are you crunching on something? Oh, my bad. That was tape. That, that oh. was, that was, it was <laughs> but like. In any of, I understand. In any of them, I was just saying that the way our democracy has evolved, it is not easy for us to engage them. They have become the elite. And, you know, they, they shut you down and 
force you into the confrontational spaces where you have to stand up and, you know, shout out over the audience, you know, or this, that, and a third, just to be heard. And a part of that is because we don't have a, a free and independent press who will take our grievances and put them out there so that we're heard in a different way. You get shut down. Right. Well, you're 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 right about that. Sabrina. Um, mm-hmm. I wanna piggyback onto that. They want us to respect their privacy when they're when they are public servants, but they don't respect our privacy as they sick the NSA and the CIA, all these different alphabet groups on us monitoring our phone activity our online activity, our social media activity, they all up in our activity. Mm. Those right. are really good points. Really good points. Right, right. And um, the que- I think the real answer to the Anne's question, it's all about money. I mean, that's what I think. I mean, I'm sure Aaron knows that, but um, they're not calling for a ceasefire because there's some... I, like I'm not really I should be more informed on Israel Palestine, but I'm I'm not that well versed in it. And but I do feel there's some sort of money involved. So that's why he's not calling for a ceasefire, because the military industrial complex has is so much influence on our politics. So and I do feel like this senator is taking money from the military industrial complex. So that's why he's not calling for a ceasefire, because war makes money. And but obviously Aaron can't say that. He just has to ask the questions and yeah. get the answer from the senator himself. So, well, it's, it's really interesting too because I I did go through um, I did go through uh, Chris Coon's open secrets tonight, and he is taking money from the Israeli lobby. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so he he's bought he's another a bought off politician. Um, so oh yeah, the, and. He's taking money from DuPont as well. Like he's, yeah, he's, he's bought off. He's bought, he, he represents again, he's from Delaware. That's the credit. That's where the credit card companies are. So that's, you know, that's also Biden's state. Right. So Aaron's just really asking these questions. Cause I think he knows the answer. Like why he's not calling for a ceasefire. The, you, I think he's too smart not to know the answer, but he just asking the question just so um, to get an answer, right? Because I'm sure he knows the answer, right? I'm assuming. Right. 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 Okay. He, he seems very smart and he knows how corrupt these politicians are, but he's just asking these questions because just to get an answer from the politician himself, even though he already knows why. Right. He's not calling for <laughs> Yeah. I think so. I think, I think that's the case. Rick Rubin. Sabrina. Oh, thanks, Roger. Yeah, he started Def Jam. And then when he met Russell, he's like, oh, what you got going on here in this college dorm? That's interesting. That is interesting. Um, wow. Anything else about, um, let me see what the topics. Oh, any other, anything about uh, Jill Stein, um, Brent, or anyone? I feel like uh, or anyone. Okay, so um, apparently I, I saw 
quickly on YouTube, like the, you know how they ran us up pops on the new feed. Apparently, uh, you you and Jimmy Dore have a beef. I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, there's something going on. I, I saw it on YouTube. Like I was looking on YouTube, and something came up about you and Jimmy Dore having some sort of beef. I don't know if I, I, I didn't really look into it, but it, something popped up online. It was from the Vanguard, so I don't know how credible that is, but. I just saw something online. I don't know if you're aware of that. <laughs> just... um, yeah. I don't know if I would call beef or anything. I think people try to make things bigger than what they are sometimes. Um, I'm sorry, you guys. I've just been sneezing a lot. I don't know what happened. Um, but... Uh, Apparently, I guess there was some anger towards like me interviewing Jill Stein or whatever. Uh, so first and foremost, I've interviewed Jill Stein multiple times. We've interviewed Jill Stein on RBN multiple times. This is not like Jill's first time popping on on my show. So it's not like this was someone that I had never spoken to before. Um, and then two, I think that, I think there's some other things that are going on here. Oh, let me put that over there. I think there's some other things that are going on, uh, here. I mean, I think what people have to understand, at least for me, I can only just speak for myself. I am not, I'm not close with most people in independent media, aside from RBN, obviously. Like, but other than, other than like my comrades at RBN, I'm not close with most people in independent media. I think that some people assume that, and I, and it was very apparent to me, um, cause some people did reach out. It was very apparent to me. I think that people may have assumed that Jimmy and I were closer than we actually are. Um, and just because someone comes on like to my show or I've been on their show, that doesn't mean that I'm actually close with this person. So I think what people have to understand is that I live in Massachusetts and unlike some of the other people in left independent media in particular, there's no one else in my state that's in left independent media. And please don't say David Pacman because we don't consider Dave to be left, but there, there's, there's no one else. So the thing is, is that people like me and people like uh, JB and Rome, where we live, we actually don't have that opportunity to interact with people in left independent media in person often. The only time I actually have been able to see people in left indie media is when I went to DC for rallies. That's the only time. So last time I went to DC, for the uh, the Peace in Ukraine rally that Code Pink uh, sponsored, that was when I was able to meet. So I was able to hang out with Bree, uh, Lee Camp, um, Afini, but I've hung out with Afini before, uh, Chuck Modi. I was able to hang out with other people in left independent media that I had never really had opportunity to actually hang out with or even meet in person. So that's the other thing. Um, Typically, based on from what I've seen, it seems like most of the people in the left indie media space are in that DMV area. 
for those who don't know, DMV is DC, Maryland, and Virginia. A lot of them live in that area. So like people like Bree and Crystal and um, uh, Max Blumenthal, uh, Anya, uh, Garland Nixon is also in that area. I think also, I think um, uh, Tim Black, I think he's also in that area too. Anyway, there's a lot of people that work in left indie media that are in that DMV area. So they actually get the opportunity to actually meet with each other in person. And I think a lot of those people have been able to develop like friendships. I think someone correct me if I'm wrong. I think Abby Martin might be in that area too. I'm not sure about that though, but anyway, they're able to hang out and, and, you know, interact with each other uh, commonly. I think the closest person proximity wise to me that's in left media would probably be Katie Halper and that's New York city. So for me, I mean, there's no one, there's no one, what about like not Danny even in, in New England. Danny is in New York. Danny's from, so that's, that's another thing. Like Danny is from here. So he's from Boston, Cambridge area, grew up here, but, but Danny lives in New York. So that's, that's what I think people have to understand. Even if you look at, like CJ, for example, from RBN, CJ's in Los Angeles area, right? So there's a lot of people out that way. You have Kim Iverson, you have uh, Jackson Hinkle, uh, Ron Paclone is out that way. I'm not sure if Graham Elwood lives in LA or Hawaii now. I'm, I'm not sure about Graham, but uh, I thought at one point Graham was in LA. I could be wrong. Um, at one point, Fee and Pasta were also in LA. So there's more people there. There's people in New York. There's people in that DMV area. In New England, it's not that way. So the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't really, I don't have close relationships with people, with most people in left independent media, except for my comrades at RBN. And what do I mean by that? Meaning like these are people, people that I talk to every day. People that I just pick up the phone and call or people that I like text and stuff every day. Most people in left indie media, I don't even have their phone number. And I think that's the thing. Like, I think people assume that I think people there was assumption that people thought that me and Jimmy were closer than we actually were. And that's that's actually not the case. Um, so. For me, it's just kind of like. I didn't understand the point. I didn't understand why he felt the need to to go there, but I'm pretty sure I know what this is about. Um, but that being said, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> like, like I said before, like the people that I am the closest to are people that I've known for years. Um, and these are people that are not in independent media. I'm talking about friends that I've had for 10, 15 plus years. And you will never, you don't know who those people are. You never see these people. You'll never hear from these people because they don't have YouTube channels. They're not in independent media. They're not in this space at all. And so it, it's just very different. And I think when I remember when I, when I was first starting watching left independent media, that wasn't always the case. 
I remember seeing events on YouTube. There was like Politicon and other stuff too, where it seemed like during the Bernie Sanders movement, it seemed like a lot of these people were friends. I remember seeing events where like Kyle and Jimmy and like uh, Crystal and like all of them. I uh, remember um, who was the guy from Majority Report um, passed away. Uh, why can't I remember his name? Brain fart. Uh, Michael Michael Brooks, Michael Brooks, Michael Brooks. Yeah. Like I remember seeing pictures and videos on YouTube and stuff where like they would all like hang out in person. So the thing is, is like, if you're not having that type of interaction with someone, it's really, you don't really know them. You don't really know them. I've only met Jimmy once and that was at his event that he had here in Massachusetts. But other than that, I don't, I don't really know you like that. And I think that's the thing. People think that like, oh, well, he's been on the show. She's been on his show and stuff like that. But yeah, but I don't really know. I don't really know you. That was most him ranting about, uh, what's her name? Uh, Joe Stein. Yeah. I mean, I just, look, I, I honestly don't really care because my thing is, is like, first of all, I will talk to whoever I want to talk to. I interview whoever I want to interview. You don't have to agree with the interview. You don't have to agree with the questions that I ask. But what's really interesting is that instead of actually watching the entire interview, you take one clip. Don't even know the question that I asked right after that interview, but you take that one clip and you decide to like criticize or whatever. And I don't care. Like people can critique me. That's fine. But, well, he didn't, he didn't but I know he just basically went after Stein. Well, people no, that's not true or sure. No, I, I, the video is there. You can just watch it. Wait, what are you talking about? The video, the video he put out uh, above that by the tweet. What are you talking about? Isn't he talking about the Vanguard was reacting to the fact that there's the they claim there's a beef because when I watched the video, I thought the same too. So when I watched the video, he said that uh, he, he didn't really basically he didn't basically go after. He went after. Uh, no, was, no, no, Ashura, I'm sorry. He said that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Said, no, no, Ashura, that, no, Ashura. There's you don't know everything that has transpired within the past 48 hours. Um, and there were things that were said behind the scenes. So I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I this video that you're talking about that may be that's an, a separate thing, but there were things that were said about me behind the scenes okay. that you did not see. Not everything that happens happens on camera. So no, that is uh, <laughs> that's that's not true. That's not the case. Uh, I'm sorry, Notori. I thought I. Natori said, "Pull." Yeah, she Natori, was up. I have... think she dropped off. Oh, yeah, let me bring her up. Okay, but I, I just wanted to say really to quickly, I support Jill Stein. I think she's she has that right temperament to run for president, and I hope in the end, it's Jill Stein at the top, and um, Cornel West will collapse and be her VP. I, you know what is interesting. Um, I've been hearing that a lot more and more. <laughs> I've been well, hearing that a lot more, more To just make David Pacman lose his shit. No. <laughs> David Pacman hates the Jambos for some reason. He calls him a, a radical, something, a dangerous person. I'm like, just because what he said about Obama, 
He calls out the Democratic Party. He calls out. Uh, he even calls out America. He said the fact that he called out America. David Packer was pissed. Sabrina, uh, um, hold on one second, Roger. I think Notori. Notori, were you trying to? Oh yes. I want to say, I'm going to keep it 100. Jimmy Doyle, I feel like he have a beef with you because you got the first interview with Jill. I be watching this shit too. I um don't watch him like that anymore. I don't hate n- I don't hate nobody. I don't just because I don't fuck with you or watch your show like that anymore, which I don't watch Jimmy's show like that no more. Don't mean I hate him. He good on other um topics, but I do skim through his shit sometimes. And these last couple of days... He have been like pushing hard, wanting Jill on his show, and I feel like he got a beef with you because you got the first interview that I seen. And I know I was in his comments. I know I was in his comments, and I said, if you do get the interview, I said, because I do follow him still, and I said, if you do get the interview, I said, play dumb like a bitch like you did with Robert um, and act like you don't know. Interesting. So nobody else has interviewed Jill yet? I honestly don't know because remember I was kind of out of it for the whole weekend. No, um not nobody. No, I think you are the first one since she announced. Oh, well, look. So that's I feel like people want this to be the best friend club, like I don't know why. I don't know why people feel. I don't understand people love who they love, but I don't know why. When even when I say shit about Jimmy on um my um page on Twitter, shit get quiet. I don't give a fuck. He is not God. I understand people like who they like, but if I see some shit, I'm gonna call it out, and I can give zero fucks to. Well. What's what's really interesting to me is that, first of all, like when I reached out for the interview, I didn't even expect the interview to happen as fast as it did. I mean, that just it just kind of happened. But the thing is, is that. This for me, this is not a competition. <laughs> like, like it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Um, so for me, this is not a competition. I like doing interviews. Obviously, you guys know I like interviewing people. And I I will say this, uh, I don't think you guys have ever seen me scream at a guest. And I've said this time and time again, I think if that's what people are looking for, you're not going to see that with me. You're not going to see that with me. The other thing that people have to keep in mind is that I am, at the end of the day, I am a black woman. I cannot sit up there and scream at guests and berate guests like that and still be taken uh, credible. I I can't do that. But do know you don't have to do none of that, but you still will break a di- a bitch down, but in the nice right. way. And that's right. Like I don't have to scream at at I don't have to scream at a guest in order to get my point across. And I think that some people just want to see a lot of drama. They want to see like a throwdown fight and all that shit. And that's not that's not how I operate. Um, so I think the thing is, is this, and the other thing is just because I interview someone doesn't mean I'm promoting that person. It doesn't mean I'm saying vote for this person. It doesn't mean I'm saying that I've interviewed people, candidates on the show that I, I heavily do not support, (laughs) heavily do not support. So I think the thing is, is like, there are other things that I, that have happened behind the scenes. And I think. It, it, what has been brought to my attention, apparently, 
is there seems to be some type of a, a disagreement in reference to when we did that stream on RBN and we were talking about the interview that Jimmy had with Cornell West, apparently that that poked a nerve from what I have been told. Um, I don't give a shit because the thing is, is this, no one is above criticism and you ain't got to like Cornell West. You ain't got like Cornell West policies. I really don't give a shit, but people can see how you talk to the lack of respect that you have when you talking to a black man versus when you talk to your white friend. And I'll call that shit out and I saw it for what it was. We and, also, I, and I don't and I don't take that shit back. I don't take it back. I mean exactly what I said. I saw the difference. And the thing is, if I have to agree with you about every single thing in order for you to be okay with me, then that sounds like that sounds like a serious problem. Because the thing is, how are you gonna tell people we need to talk to people that we disagree with but basically when you saying that you basically saying we should talk to people that we disagree with but we're not supposed to disagree with you no fuck that nobody owns me nobody has ownership over me i'm an individual i'm not a follower and if that pisses people off fuck them right and I do see, and I do, and I'm, you know me, I see everything. I'm nosy, I'm a nosy motherfucker. So I do see him on other um, guests, I'm like on other shows, and I understand he got a big platform, and I know people love him, he a comedian. And I see him slip people, like it's okay if you do it out of the kindness of your heart. I see him slip like little um, donations or whatever. And that, that's, to me, it's, I feel like, he, I'm not gonna say he. Well, he. I feel like he trying to slip in favor. Like just give it to people that you because you want to give it to them. You love their content, not to try to be friends. Like I, like I, like I said, I feel like he's trying to. It's like becoming like a best friend club. Like we don't have to like you or like everything you do. Just keep telling us the damn news. We're not trying to be best friends, but. No, like I have a very small friend circle. Like my best friends are not on YouTube. And I just <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead, Roger. Um do you have plans to interview what's this guy's name? Brandon James Griffin? I don't, but you can send me the information. You know I already did. Okay. <laughs> he wants he wants to he wants to be your senator. Um oh boy. He he uh so he's says he's a socialist, political candidate, socialist. His number is right here. His email is right there. Um it says uh the working class needs a workers party. Um there's some pretty interesting stuff. I sent you his phone number. I sent you his, on his Facebook thing, I sent you his uh, website, his policy okay. page. Um, it says workers unite with a hammer and something else on it. Okay. Um, I just wanted to know if you like heard about him. I haven't heard about him yet. Um, Actually, we just had election day here. Uh, I think it was November 7th. Yeah, last week. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I haven't heard about him yet, but I'll I'll look into it. Um, I want to bring in uh, Bindu. I know you were waiting too. Uh, just go ahead and unmute. And then I'll go to you, Maggie. Just got to hit the um, unmute button, bottom left corner. Uh, Bindu. I don't know if he... I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if Bindu uh, heard me. Um, so let's go to uh, Maggie. Maggie, go ahead and unmute. Uh oh, maybe maybe Maggie fell asleep. Maggie, Maggie, I'll invite you to speak. Let's go ahead and bring in um, Linda. Linda, just gotta go ahead and unmute. Okay, do you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, no, well, great show. Um, just generally speaking, in terms of your YouTube show, and then also like kind of the Colin show has been interesting. The different things have been talked about. I guess one of the things I've been thinking about is just with what's going on in Palestine, you know, and just the fact that you know any person who's watching, um, you know, the news or more so, I see independent media. We can all see that a genocide is happening against the Palestinian people. Um, and how so much has been done to kind of conflate Palestinians who clearly are just civilians with, you know, Hamas, with, you know, um, Netanyahu and IDF intentionally just doing this because they want to, you know, support or just kind of utilize that in order to support, you know, what they're doing to, you know, promote this genocide against the Palestinians. I've been really wondering how much, um, you know, Arab countries will kind of step up and will, you know, fight against Israel. Um, and I only say that because since Israel's true plan really is to expand into these other countries, like such as Egypt, such as also, I believe, Iran, um, another country that's escaping me. But I think it was one of your shows, you showed the map of, you know, when you were kind of discussing like kind of Israel's plan to like further really expand um, their, their territory, their land. Well, not their land, but just their, their territory, their the boundaries of our country. So I'm kind of curious as to, you know, are these other countries not understanding that this is truly a threat to their own sovereignty? And therefore, it seems like, unfortunately, a lot of the Arab world has been kind of handicapped in a sense by maybe the U.S., um, you know, in, in order to kind of not necessarily maybe fully kind of go to bat on behalf of the Palestinian people. But I'm really hoping that with what's happening currently that um, they will to an extent, because it's not just only about the Palestinians. It's also, you know, about them protecting their own borders as well. There have been a few countries that have come out in support of the Palestinian people. Um, the queen of Jordan gave a statement on CNN about it. She's mm -hmm. also Palestinian for those who are not aware. Um, but I think that actually even Macron Oh, I'm gonna have to cover this Thursday. Even Macron actually came out recently with a statement for a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. Now that's yeah. that's an ally to the United States. So that yeah. was interesting to hear. It mainly seems to be the U.S. government that is uh, not willing to do so. And I hate to say it, but as long as we have APAC and you know Elliot Weiss management, uh, J Street, as long as we have these groups. Uh, that are part of the Israeli lobby. I, I don't see the U.S. government pushing back on Israel. 
That's the thing. This is why I keep saying we have to get corporate money out of electoral politics, because as long as the corporate money is attached, their interest is never going to lie with the people. It's always going to lie with corporate corporations uh, and the military industrial complex. Yeah, no, I agree. And just to a point about the military industrial complex, I think one of the previous folks who was kind of like one of the callers that was speaking on this had kind of mentioned about like kind of following the money. And, you know, I think one thing people don't realize is that because we have, you know, senators and Congress people who can basically like, you know, they can, you know, purchase stocks in various companies. A lot of these folks also have stocks in like, you know, these various, um, you know, like these companies that are part of the military industrial complex. And so, those stocks are only going to go up in value as this war continues. And so I think that's the other part of it where, you know, people are also invested in a sense, you know, maybe the public doesn't know about it, but, you know, it's, you know, I think I was watching, um, maybe it was breaking points sometime last week or the week before, but even they were kind of talking about how, oh yeah, the word in DC is that like the Raytheon, like stocks are going to like, you know, the people are talking about how their stocks are going to increase because of what's happening, you know, and, in Palestine, which is really sick, if we were thinking about it from the standpoint of, oh, we have public public officials who or public servants who are, you know, speaking about that in such a cavalier way, but yet we're not talking about, okay, the actual cost of human life that this particular conflict, you know, has. And I think that's the part that's been that's just so alarming about it is that, you know, just this idea, one idea, but the reality that, you know, our politicians are bought and paid for, but definitely not by the American people, more so by these, you know, corporations who, you know, back them. And then from there, they further their agendas with whatever policies they promote or, you know, laws they'll pass, but then they're not, they're not doing anything to serve the people. And I just think, you know, when I think of revolution, um, there has to be violence with that as well. And I do think at some point, how much is enough? Like how much can the American people, people, how much can they take? That's why I will never, ever, nor have I ever considered Hamas to be a terrorist group. They are not a terrorist group. I mean, just, you know, in speaking about the history, as you have discussed this so much in your show and so other independent media, you know, outlets have, based on the history and just me watching, you know, you know, just reading and learning a bit more about it myself. No, it's really, truly clear that, if anything, they're more so aligned with being freedom fighters to an extent, you know, which is why, you know, you do have Palestinians who, not saying all do, but who do back Hamas, who do support Hamas and what they're doing. Even um, I was watching something the other day and it was a documentary, uh, you know, on Palestine. And it was just, you know, where you had mothers who were discussing how their sons who, you know, based on what they witnessed in terms of how, you know, older, you know, siblings who were brutalized by the IDF or, you know, family members who were killed. That in and, of, in and of itself is why they went off to go fight, you know, on behalf of, you know, because they're viewing it as, no, I this is not okay for me to be treated like this and be discriminated against like this and for us to be made to feel as if we are less than we are not. And so if we're thinking about just, okay, at, as just these as human beings and the othering that's been done to the Palestinian people, no, they have every right to fight on behalf of themselves. And the fact that this has went on for so many decades and the framing of it, I think, you know, Noel brought up a really good point earlier about how the framing and the context of, you know, how, you know, when we are speaking on specific, you know, stories or situations, that really is also what's going, I think, to play a role in, you know, who you have sympathy for, who you empathize with, who do you identify with? And, you know, I think just way too many people who just are so ignorant to the history of like what truly this conflict has been going on in Palestine for decades and they're only framing it from the context of October 7th, don't really fully understand that, no, these people have been subjugated, uh, they've been discriminated against, their land was stolen from them, um, and really, Israel does not have a right to exist as 
just as a country, because how, like what I think Noel's point, how can a country exist within another country? Like that doesn't make any sense at all whatsoever. Um, you know, so Palestine, I think needs to be restored for what it is, but it just, I think, unfortunately, there just needs to be more, I don't know if I want to say like allies, but there, I think there's going to be a lot more bloodshed that's going to have to happen um, on behalf of the Palestinian people in terms of on their behalf in order for that to be taken seriously because we see so much being done to even stifle just even the conversations that are being had around, you know, what these people are going through. Even the fact that we see it with our own eyes that, you know, the, the, the IDF is bom they're bombing hosp actual hospitals, like had they no shame that you are bombing, that these, that you have babies who are dying, people who are dying because they don't have access to what they need in order to get the care they need in these hospitals and these facilities. So I, I think at some point, you know, it's just like, I, I really feel like we're almost in the end of days in a sense where this is almost like a spiritual and a moral reckoning that um, I think needs to happen in some way that, um, you know, that, <laughs> that's going, that is still going, it's going to have to happen. Like we're not quite there yet, but it's going to have to happen because when is enough enough? When do you expect the oppressed to not stand up on behalf of being oppressed in order to rise and be able to have self-determination or be able to, you know, fight against what they're experiencing, which is basically their dehumanization. And that's been going on for decades, which is not acceptable. So. No, I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent right about that. And it's, um, you know, part of the problem, again, is the narrative is being controlled by mainstream media and by the U S government and the state department. So, that's that's a big part of the problem. Um, I know, like, I've made criticisms before that, like, Al Jazeera, I told you they're good on some things, not good on other things. They are good on this issue. Um, and so I've been recommending for people to please, like, pay attention to uh, independent media in reference to covering this particular situation, just because, again, like, these networks, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they are owned and controlled by shareholders like BlackRock, uh, Vanguard Group, and State Street Corporation. And they're never going to tell the whole truth. And it won't be till like years from now when other things that people in independent media have already reported will yeah. start to come out. Same thing how it was with Afghanistan in the Iraq war. Yeah. Uh, what, what is Al Jazeera not, not good on, Sabrina? I just discovered that maybe like when the war started sometimes it's the way they frame things i remember i was covering the situation about um sudan which i think could also be the next proxy war i was talking about this before i think i did a two-part uh series about that before um on rbn that like people need to also pay attention to what's happening there because this is another conflict that i believe the u.s government is going to find a way uh, to get involved in as well. And there was a video I remember I watched from Al Jazeera and like they were talking about how Barack Obama had actually lifted sanctions on Sudan during his presidency. But in the way that they were framing that conflict, they made it sound like basically like the Democratic Party was in favor of not harming uh, the people in Sudan, when in the reality, both parties participated in the sanctions. So it was one of those things where sometimes Al Jazeera, like sometimes they're, they're really good on certain things, international conflicts, and then in some ways they're not. Same thing with one, 
sometimes I show I show one on my show W I O N. Uh, they talk a lot about international news, but even the way they frame things sometimes, like they're gonna call Hamas a terrorist group. Uh, they're gonna call, you know, Putin like this brutal dictator, et cetera. Like they'll tell you a little bit more than CNN will, and then Fox News will. But they still kind of told that line as well. Same thing with News Nation. Like it's just these are the kind of things that people just have to pay close attention to. But Al Jazeera, they're really good on the Palestine issue. But there are other international conflicts that they've covered, uh, especially if they start talking about China, where they start to sound like mainstream media. Okay, because I was going to ask you what time around the Obama years, like maybe they were wet behind the ears thinking that Obama was going to do shit. This video was recent, though. Okay. The, the video came out this year. Go ahead, Noel. I just wanted to say to Linda's point, I agree with you 100%. I think in the broadest scheme of things, we are headed to some type of fundamental change in the way we exist. Um, because meanwhile, while we're talking about, you know, war and rumors of war and all of this stuff, we have the physical world telling us through every through every hint it can give that time is winding down or winding up or running out. We have all of this climate stuff. It was just put out today that, you know, the situation in Iceland with the tectonic plates moving and there may be some big um, volcanic eruption to be happening over there. We know the problems we have with the change in the climate. But while we're so busy focusing on war and rumors of war, nobody's dealing with the real things that are impacting everyday people's lives. And I only can imagine that it, it is only a matter of time before this whole thing really crashes in a way that will be inescapable in terms of how you frame it. And for me, I believe I see capitalism as the three-headed monster because when you really get down to basics, capitalism is nothing more than greed dressed up and formalized and routinized in terms of everyday lives. But at its core, it is greed. And we know that to be the source of all evil. And I just think we have to begin to think about moving in a different direction. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you because even I've been thinking a lot about, um, I'm definitely not a capitalist and I, I know that because I don't dream of labor. I don't dream of having to work, <laughs> having to like work because I mean, I can only say from my own experience, but you know, I think there's this expectation that, you know, especially when you're a black person in America or just wherever you are, that oh, or just black people period, oh, we must work hard. But my experience has been in working hard. Um, no, I see people all the time, especially a lot of, you know, not just respecting white folks, but, you know, people who are, you know, of other cultures or races or backgrounds, but lazy as hell, not doing a fraction of what I'm doing, but yet somehow getting further ahead. And that whole saying about oh, if you're black, you have to be twice as hard, you know, you have to work twice as hard to get to the same place as the next, you know, white person, which, I mean, because of the structural racism that exists in this country, that's the reason why it's not because of like obviously intelligence or work ethic or anything, but it just shows you, I think how much that I think we're just getting to a point where people are fucking tired. Like, I mean, of just the consistent injustices and like, I'm, I get very angry. Just that's why I think I've even had to kind of 
take a break sometimes from paying attention to what's happening in Palestine um, because it really, and this is why I think it's so, it's very clear why black people always kind of start on behalf of Palestinians, any group really who's been oppressed. I think that's even why, especially when black people see other people being oppressed. That's almost why like we, I don't know if it's an innate thing, but like we feel as if, oh, we have to support other people's causes in a sense because we understand what it feels like to be oppressed. Or what because actually it's very mm-hmm. triggering to us mm-hmm. because yes. we see it yeah. in a very organic way. Yeah. Yes. Very, very much so. And I think also because Black folks, we are very naturally or innate, innately very spiritual. And so even like kind of what you were saying, Noel, um, yeah, I think a lot of, there's just a lot of things going on that, um, like what you're saying, there's going to be a, a very clear shift that I think a lot of people are not really kind of paying attention to because I, I don't think with all the coverage of what's happening, you know, with Palestine and potential other wars that could be happening that, I almost think it is a bit of a distraction away from other, like, like the economy, like other issues, like that we have just rampant homelessness that's going on um, in this country, like in people who are dying, you know, whether it's from, you know, chronic substance use or other issues that we're not paying attention to. We don't care to pay attention to because it's, again, it's this othering of, well, we don't care. It's almost like we've gotten away from just as, a society, this, you know, the idea of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs in terms of basic needs, fundamental needs, like you need housing, you need food, you need, shelter, like you need, there are things you need in order to survive and also to a certain extent to thrive. And in this country, the richest country in the world, that is not happening, especially at this point. And the fact that this is being just perceived as acceptable, I think it just says a lot about where we're at within, with regards to maybe the lack of humanity that we have as maybe as Americans or just whatever's going on in this country where it's just, I think capitalism has really promoted this idea of just being all for self and taking as much as possible and not this idea of no, 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 that's actually why you see in the fall of other countries. Like when you think of like, even like France, when they had their monarchy, how they fell, because it cannot just be where you're hoarding and taking everything and the people, the masses have nothing. And in this but country, I can say this and we can take this to the bank. It is unsustainable. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to make sure Bindu I don't know if you Hey yeah I'm here I was on like the work for my job So I didn't want y'all to hear all that noise so I was trying to <laughs> that quiet area. But uh, I was just going to say Like I, I definitely been feeling like You know a lot of the Palestine You know conflict and, and what y'all been saying About it because like just like like and especially hearing it from black people you know as well because it's been like a lot like i'm just i'm gonna keep it 100 a lot of these motherfuckers a lot of these niggas on on twitter are saying some like wild shit it's like it's either going from oh this isn't our business we're not gonna get involved we don't want an opinion or just like the religious fanatics just going right along with like the complete annihilation of these people. Like even with my own family members, they're, you know, I'm trying to explain to my uncles like the historical like context of everything that's going on. And this motherfucker talking to me about like, oh well it don't matter because Jesus is gonna come back and fix it and da 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 like, you know, I, I get spirituality amongst our communities. Like even like like me, I I, I would say, you know, I, I lean more towards atheism. Uh you know I, I don't go full atheist because I, I do Same. believe there's a higher power, but I, I just think that, like, I think like, I'm, I'm going to just keep it, I'm going to keep it real. Like, I think a lot of that stuff has really made our people docile, even, like, a lot of our, like, most influential leaders. Like, for me, like, you know, the Malcolm pre-Mecca and post-Mecca is, like, completely two different things. Like, this nigga went over to Saudi Arabia and saw a white 
Islamic person and like completely forgot about 400 years of slavery. Like we're all humans. Like, bro, we know we're all humans, but it's one group of people that is fucking over another group of people right now. We get that. So I think like a lot of religion, like with black people has, you know, gotten in the way of us, you know, doing what we need to do for ourselves and then supporting other groups the way we need to as well. But also like, I would argue like, I don't think us as like Africans are naturally spiritual. I think we have a natural connection to the planet. Like if you, you know, read about ancient Egypt and all of these ancient African, uh, you know, nations, like they were very scientific people. They weren't superstitious people. Like a lot of the, like, I'm not trying to disparage a group of people, but like a lot of European people were very superstitious with religions and things like that, where Africans, like you're talking about the continent where, you know, astronomy was made, like, our, our ancient ancestors was like dealing with fractal like geometry and shit, you know, when other, you know, when the, the rest of the planet was still working on the wheel. Like, <laughs> so we were never like, it's just like when I learned the history of our people, I just find that like, I, I see how much colonialism, how much, you know, racism and prejudice has forced us into these like superstitious beliefs to the point where now like, you just got people that are just like going along with genocide or ignoring it. And then on top of that, knowing our people from the past who, you know, stood against that. And just our earlier point, like you guys, um, you guys have kind of said this earlier, uh, like a, a while ago, but like, I know like sometimes for me, like when I think somebody was talking about the police or something like that, in terms of like people having mental health crises, like I, I actually like experienced that for the first time in my life. Like I had a, I had a family member who had a mental health crisis recently and, you know, like, boy, he pulled, like, he pulled a gun on me and like, <laughs> like it got very tense. So, and it was like, but even in that moment, like, I know for me, I, I refuse to call police. Cause like, even on that moment, like I want to kill this motherfucker right now. Like that's still, that's still my blood and I love him. I don't want to see him get, you know, get murdered by the police because he having a, you know, a mental health break, you know, a mental health breakdown. So like, I've definitely had that, experience firsthand so like when i hear certain people you know just like say shit about you know cops and everything like oh how we need cops like nah we don't need them because that scenario like my you know my, like i said my family member is a black man you know very irrational in that moment like couldn't you know like the, you know it, it would have ended bad if i would have called the police or anybody else would have called the police in my family so i just remember you know i wanted to bring that up from you guys talking about that earlier but but yeah that's all i had to say thank you guys my I don't want to get deep into the Bible, but how do these people, like the the Bible, they say like obey your master, the woman should stay in the like the little shit that I read because I grew up Baptist and what disgusts me about the church is a money making machine and it's just it being converted so many times to what and I feel like. The Bible to me is the downfall of black people. Ooh. Because Ooh. they will say God fits it. God can know, bitch, you got two hands, two feet, let's fight. Well, yeah, when you think about the Bible, like whose Bible is it? Is it your Bible? I mean, Jesus was never your Jesus. Right. Jesus and, uh, and which version of the Bible are we referring to? Because that's the other so thing. There's so many different. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I remember my grandma had a Bible saying something about um, when I was young, she was reading it, saying something about you obey your master and stuff like that. And I know master, the master I'm thinking is the um, white man. Yeah. 
Mm. We've been triggered when we hear that. That was we Nat Turner's. That was Nat Turner's whole thing. Like he, you know, they was using him to preach to the slaves to keep them docile. And when he found out the truth, that's you know, and in tandem with other events that happened, like that's what let him to do what he did because he realized, yo, they selling us some bullshit right now. And I will say that there is a, a level of spirituality. I believe that we are more than the sum of our parts and that there is something, for lack of better terminology, divine about what we are in terms of creation. But by the same token, I also know that the Bible and the practice of religion has been implemented as a tool to subdue the masses. And so at this point, you know, I went to Catholic school. um, I was baptized as a um, Baptist, but I realized through my own personal experience that the church is too integrated and woven into the state. And Mm -hmm. so the powers that be use the church as a way of controlling messaging and narrative and all of this type of stuff. And so I don't do organized religion anymore. I am still a very spiritual person. I pray, I meditate. Um, I even do some chanting, but that is to center myself within my own context. But all of this religion and control that it brings just does not serve me or my community. And so I look at it. um, I realize that, you know, particularly the black community is so heavily engrossed into it. But there has been a turning away from religion. The numbers are really going down because just like the system of governance and democracy, the church is failing on its obligation to the people. You cannot have all of this suffering and you're telling me the government can't fix it, the church can't fix it. Why is there so much suffering when we have so many resources and so many new types of technology? Something is poisonous and something is wicked. And we need to be able to visualize something that serves the need of humanity. Some, some, of these, some of these uh, oh. pastors got mega rich too. So, <laughs> yes. um, I was about to say these mega church. Like, why is y'all coming in with planes, new houses, but your congregation is poor in the dirt? Um, ever since this war started, my stepdad is a pastor. I'm, a, I'm afraid to basically talk about the war with him. He's an intellectual. But I'm afraid he's going to give me some biblical bullshit. So I, I've tried not to talk with him. I've not even asked him about it. I didn't. I don't even enter the conversation. He calls me up every time he calls me up. I'm like, "Fuck, should I talk him about the Bible? He's all about that shit." And uh, I'll end with this, Sabrina. This is a question to you because you brought it up. You talk about how Corn- you don't know if Cornell West is gonna. If he's gonna be on the battle. If he's gonna get any ballots. I was gonna. Ask, uh, the question is, um, if he's gonna be on, the, he's gonna get free access ballot. Is he gonna be in any swing states? What, what do you mean? Well, you were talking about how you don't know if he's going to be on the ballot. Right. And in my I, state, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because yeah, we were talking about how the Greens had ballots in some swing states. And I said, right. well, he has to get at least one because it seems to me the fact that if this is the route that he's chosen, because people have stopped taking him seriously whatsoever because they were afraid he was going to take 
one swing state from Biden. Therefore, he might be responsible for it. So I'm just saying, with him going independent, would he be able to basically go into a state to get at least one swing state? So here's something that's... Oh, go ahead, Noel. (laughs) The most balanced Cornel West is going to be on it as the VP candidate for Jill Stein on the green ticket. I think that's... Honestly, I think that that's what might end up happening because... Like I said, like Ralph Nader was on the ballot. Uh, I've never had this somewhere. Um, I think it's 35. So Ralph Nader ran as a green and he ran as an independent. When he, when he ran as a green, he, he got on more states. When he ran as an independent, 35, 35 states. Okay, that's that's good for an independent. But the thing is, is that Number one, that requires money, that requires mobilization of the masses of people to get out there and get the signatures. So in reference to the swing states, here's what I've seen so far. I guess they call in Georgia swing now. So let's just go with it. Uh, so <laughs> Georgia's red. But apparently, for whatever reason, in Georgia, he's polling at 5%, which I'll be honest with you guys, and I said this after 2020, I don't think Joe Biden will win Georgia again in 2024. Okay. So I just, just want to let everybody know. I really, I really don't think, I don't think that's going to happen again. Sabrina, um, I want to go back to Clyburn for a second. I think I might have figured out why so many people uh, listen to him because like, cause we're saying, you know, cause we're, we're coming from a perspective of we can look things up. Dead fish can't be dead. Girl, no, that fish is not that damn good. That fish be dry. Like, I'm I'm sorry. Listen, guys, listen. You do not have to go to Jim Clyburn's Fish Fry. For those of you who are in South Carolina, I went to college in South Carolina, and I'm just here to tell you, you can fry your own damn fish. Hell, I'll fry the fish for you, okay? And I'm not going to charge you to get into the fish fry. And we're going to have actual, the fish is actually going to be moist. It's not going to be dry. And you ain't got to vote for me. How's that sound? So, so, fish was so, uh, um, so I think I, I think I might've figured it out. Cause we're, we're coming from a perspective of we can like research we can do our own research, look stuff up online, so on and so forth. But I just remembered South Carolina has no broadband infrastructure. Nope. There is an information block because you can say in urban centers, the internet is, is, is crappy, but in rural areas, there is no broadband infrastructure. So when it comes to politics and whatever the case is, who do you rely on? I guess Jim Clyburn, whatever he tells us. Okay, we'll go with that. So I think I think that's something that we miss because we operate in the space of, you know, we got like internet access and some broadband here and there. But in a lot of these rural places in the South and, and you know, upstate New York too, whatever the case is, there is no broadband infrastructure because no corporation is not they want to see a return on investment so they need they like these very densely populated suburban areas and urban areas and so on and so forth which goes back to 
needing infrastructure and it can't be done by corporations and private equity. It has but to I be think I think yeah. that's a, a small contribution, Roger, because the reality is if you go to the most industrialized centers in this nation where black people exist, their voting patterns still tend to be very conventional and they lean onto the black faces and whoever they see with brown skin like Kamala Harris and Barack mm -hmm. Obama. And yeah. our people don't are not known for doing a whole lot of research to, to govern their voting patterns if they do. Because if they did, we would potentially be looking at something different. I think the old school people who lead the vo the bulk of black voting are routinized and they've been, you know, ingrained in terms of voting for, you know, black people because that's what they grandmama did and this and that and they're on autopilot. And I think the best hope we have is that the younger people yes. start different things. They, they, they are already on it. Also, Sabrina, I wanted to just uh, bring this up. I don't know if you heard me before. I think I might have jumped out. But I was saying before about Chris Coons. He voted to deregulate Dodd-Frank in 2017. Ooh, no. Yeah. So I, I tried to put that on the, on the chat or whatever. But he voted to, um, in 2017, um, there were 67 senators that voted to um, deregulate Dodd-Frank. Okay, um, Joe Donnelly, not there anymore. Joe Donnelly of Indiana, not there anymore. Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, not there anymore. Claire McCaskill of Missouri, not there anymore. John Tischer of Montana, he's asking me for donations to help him win. Joe Manchin, who's leaving. Debbie Stabenow from Michigan. Bill Nelson, who's not there anymore from Florida. Uh, and... Uh, what he called and and uh, Doug Jones, who's not there anymore, and Chris Coons and Tom Carper of Delaware. Mm. The banking industry has a strong presence in the state. Other Democratic senators, not up for re-election, but who represent swing states or want to be seen as moderate, also voted for the bank proposal. Those lawmakers are Maggie Hassan. Gina Shaheen of New Hampshire, on, um, Michigan, DoorDash and Wilmington. And when you like drive down Wilmington, like all throughout the skyline, all you see is the banks, like city whispers autumn. So that's definitely a thing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, yeah. So, but also, um, when we was talking before, um, you can, you can still hear me. Yeah, I haven't been in Wilmington, Delaware in a hot minute. I'm talking, it's been probably about 11 years. I'm not going to lie, but. Um... So, so, so going back to the plantation nation that Noelle was talking about, some of y'all already know this, okay? But for those who don't know about the Dred Scott decision, okay, where uh, 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 Dred Scott was trying to, uh, uh, get his his uh, citizenship or whatever. So they said the months, what it was say, Dred Scott's argument was that because he had been brought into free territories, he could not be returned to the bonds of slavery. Over the course of 11 years, his case was litigated several times over and essentially wound its way into the United States Supreme Court. On March 6, 1857, Chief Justice 
Roger Taney, issued what is widely regarded as the worst Supreme Court opinion ever. He noted that the question before the court was whether African-Americans are citizens of the United States. Now, of course, this is like years before the third, before the fifth, uh, 14th Amendment, right? So, and thus able to file suit in federal court. His analysis of that issue is concluded in abjectly racist language, where he said African-Americans had for more than a century before been regarded as beings of an inferior order and altogether unfit to associate with the white race, either in social or political relations, and so and so far inferior that they had no rights which the white man was bound to respect. And that Negro might justly and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his benefit. He was bought and sold and treated as an ordinary article of merchandise and traffic whenever a profit could be made by it. The response to the opinion was immediate. Rather than settle the issue of slavery, it simply inflamed public opinion and divided the country further. Frederick Douglass assailed Chief Justice Taney's opinion, noting that the rights of African Americans derive not from any judicial pronouncement but from natural law. We are told, we are now told in tones of lofty exultation that the, that the day is lost, all lost, and that we might as well give up the struggle. The highest authority has spoken. The voice of the Supreme Court has gone out over the troubled waves of the national conscious saying, peace be still, the Supreme Court of the United States is not the only power in this world. It is very great, but the Supreme Court of the Almighty is greater. So a lot of that, that Dred Scott decision of, of Chief Justice Roger Taney saying, we have no rights that any white man is bound to respect. That, you can say, set the tone for the next 150 years or whatever the case is. So, you know, I know some of y'all knew that already, but some of you did not. And you know so what he did? He spoke the quiet part out loud. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do have to head out, guys. Um, I'm going to be on Rising today. Um, so I, I do have to get going. Is the black guy going to be there or the white guy? <laughs> I, I actually don't know. <laughs> you know what, Ashura? <laughs> I be wanting to slap the fuck out of Robbie. Uh, I wasn't talking I actually, about Robbie. I was talking about the other guy you mentioned today. I I actually don't know who's or that going black to conservative guy. Yeah, I actually don't know who's going to be there until I'm there. I actually don't know who's going to be there ahead of time. Um, but I'm sorry, I I forgot to come back to Michigan. Sure, I do want to say this really quick. The other place where Cornell West seems to be doing pretty well polling wise is Michigan, and I'm wondering if that has to do with the Israel. Uh, Gaza issue, issue because remember Joe Biden's support is down among the Arab community in the United States and Michigan has one of the largest Arab populations in the country so that could be part of what's happening there but I think what people that those are the ones I know about right now but that Georgia one that should raise alarms to people like I said I think Georgia was a one-off I never thought that Georgia was guaranteed to Biden again for re-election. Never once thought that again. 
I said, I think it was a lot of people just showing showing up to vote against Donald Trump. So Georgia, I think most likely may turn back red in 2024. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but Michigan, listen, Joe Biden needs Michigan to win. It's not one of those states that he can say, well, I can afford to lose Michigan. And no, he can't. Well, he effed up too much. And uh, I'll end with this. Um, Joe Manchin, he's not coming back. So are the Democrats basically surrendering the Senate? I think uh, Joe Manchin is going to try to use uh, this time to work towards basically weeding out progressive politics. He's going to try to help put his efforts more towards what Andrew Yang was trying to do. Bring bringing politics back to the center. So bringing in Democrat moderates, Republican moderates, that kind of thing. That's where he's going to start utilizing his efforts. Um, so there's that. Um, but I honestly had a feeling when Joe Manchin was making those legislative decisions that he was making, I had a feeling that he was not going to run for reelection because especially when his own constituents started protesting against him. Yeah, because I was like, well, now Democrats have they probably they'll lose both the House and the Senate because if Manchin's gone, they can't basically have a 50-50 split. You're going to have a Republican Senate. And remember, um, Kristen Sinema, I think, is now running as an independent. Oh, she'll vote Republican. <laughs> she is, and she's very much attached to hedge fund uh, managers as well. But always she's, remember. She's very corporate. She She sold out completely completely sold out but always remember what comes from your state capital has a more profound immediate direct impact on your everyday life than anything that comes from dc especially if you have the ability to pass your own laws and ratify your own amendments that's right i am selling um bottles of holy water five hundred dollars a pop Oh, man. All right, guys. Well, I am heading out. Okay. Good morning. Bye, guys. Later.